The following is a presentation of Dirty Mo Media. You know, when I'm not racing, uh, you gotta relax and do what you can to, to relax. Uh, I just enjoy being myself and, you know, pretty much like any other, any, any, anybody else in the world. Uh, I go fishing, uh, take my kids and do things. We go out fishing and water skiing together and play on the lake. We live on the lake here and uh, I enjoy pretty much the simple things in life. There's nothing simple, though, about how Dale Earnhardt earns a living. Pretty awesome. That's a good intro there. Love it. Man, good stuff. Little Dale. Yeah, so uh, I know what that's from. That's from kind of a mini documentary uh, called One Tough Customer. They put that together, Wrangler and uh, folks that were kind of behind Dad's brand at the time. Put that together back in 1981, mm. and uh, Dad was driving the number two Austerlin Pontiac. He'd eventually, in the same season, switch over to Richard Childress Racing, but Dad is trying to teach me how to water ski, and he's got me on two skis out in the water off of the shore in the lake, and they have tied the rope to the back of a truck <laughs> on a, uh, the the hitch of a truck and so basically they're just driving that truck up the boat ramp and pulling me out of the water so i can practice getting up all oh, the, wow. on the skis over and over and over right and so we did it a couple times and then the last time or that time they they went a little far and drug me up onto the boat ramp so my butt's kind of skidding across the concrete of the boat <laughs> boat ramp and miller i guess some guy named miller is driving the truck and i'm like miller tore my butt up <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, at first that sounded like an awful idea, and then I said, that's a genius idea, but then it went back to being an awful idea once you tore your butt up. Well, I probably, <laughs> yeah, I think I sat down on the, you know, as I was coming up out of the water on the skis, and then the truck slows down, and you kind of squat back down and right. bottomed out on the ground. I was probably six years old. My goodness. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Well, I was probably seven, so I was born in 74, so it's 1981. Maybe I was six or seven, but I love watching. I've watched that One Tough Customer little thing. You can see it on YouTube somewhere, but uh, pretty cool, man. Great, great footage of Dad right after his first championship. He's back, you know, he's running, walking around in the garage in the pits at Sharpmore Speedway. They kind of follow him along to the track and driving his car, and he's like two years into being a full-time cup racer, and he's got a cowboy hat, and he's got these expensive shades, and he's driving a big old car. And the funny part in that little show is when he pulls into the gate to get into Sharpmore Speedway, the guard doesn't really recognize him. And he goes, you don't know who I am? Or something like that. It was funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he kind of it kind of caught Daddy off guard. Yeah. And but, then he uh, immediately is like, yeah, I know that sounded like I was being, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's like, oh, I'll bet that sounded like I was being <laughs> told. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah, because he, cause he uh, well, he's been going to Charlotte all his, you know, all his life. But um, anyhow, pretty cool intro. Here we are, Mike. We got a great show today. We're in the Bojangle studio, and we're getting fired up for uh, – for a pretty special guest to come in, and his name is Tommy Russell. So Tommy Russell owned race cars, and his family was in racing. We're going to learn a lot about that. What What is Tommy Russell to me? So Tommy Russell uh, put Dad in a dirt car, 
and was with my father when he won his first dirt race. He was with dad. They became really close friends. This is all in the early 70s. Tommy knew Ralph, and we're going to learn about that. Tommy was there during a lot of critical moments of dad's life and career in the 70s, all the way up until he goes into the Cup Series. We're going to talk to Tommy about dad's first trip to Daytona with his own sportsman car back, I believe, in 76. Mm. We're going to talk to him about uh, about all those things. And he, he kind of goes all the way with dad to Ontario in 1980 when dad goes to win the championship. Tommy was around all of that. Dad included him, wanted him to be there. It's going to be a lot of fun learning his experiences because I wasn't around for any of that and I really haven't talked to anyone who was a part of that experience you know we've had Doug Doug Reichert on here and a few other people but Tommy's close friendship with dad is really going to give us some insight onto who he was back then uh, what kind of person dad was and what was his experiences like and this is this is going to be one of uh, I think for Earnhardt fans and for me personally could be uh, one of the more enlightening episodes of the show I'm excited about this so, well I, I just want to say for you and also for the people that are listening is that I absolutely love weeks like this where Dale Jr. has notable names as guest options and he says to us nope there's somebody on this planet named Tommy Russell and he has stories about my dad and about my grandfather, and this is who we're b- bringing on the show. And this is what the, this is when I realized this is what the download's about. Like, if there's people out there that skip this week because they see Tommy Russell uh, in the, the the headline or the title of the show, and they're like, I don't know who that is, so you know, we'll take a week off. Well, this this show's not for you. This download's not for you because this is what the download's about. It's for people that Dale Jr. knows that has information and stories and insights into his family, his dad, his grandfather, and dadgummit, this is a vehicle in which we get those things out. I love weeks like this. I'm eager to learn a lot about him. Now, to be clear, I don't speak to Tommy all that much. So I say that because I want you, the listener, to understand that me and you are going to hear these stories for the first time together. Um, I don't know any of what Tommy's going to come in here and tell us. Now, Matthew... You've been to dinner, you've been to lunch and breakfast and and hung out with him a lot. You spoke with him. You know him well. You're you have a good idea of what we're getting ready to uh, to hear and learn. I know this is going to be a lot of fun for me. So we're going to get to Tommy later in the show. But uh, so we got a lot of things going on that we wanted to talk about. One of the things that happened last week, uh, I went to Bowman Gray Stadium and tested the next gen car. I got out and I said, this car does everything better than, than anything I've ever driven. And uh, I think I, I, was, uh, I didn't want to really get too detailed in my thoughts about the car. I wanted to save that for the table here. Thank you. Yeah, of course, man. You know, NASCAR invited me to go to Bowman Gray and drive the car. That was a bit of a favor. They had Tony Stewart there to do the tire test. That was the real objective was to get a tire that they felt comfortable with for the clash that's going to be at the Coliseum in L.A., they didn't really need me or Clint to come, but they offered that to me and Clint as broadcasters and ex-drivers to, to get a little experience and, and understanding of the car. So we both were there, and and uh, and I was very grateful and thankful for that. NASCAR didn't pay me to come. NASCAR doesn't pay me a dime uh, for anything. I say that because I don't want people to think that I got to get out of there and I got to I got to talk favorable about the car. I got to mm. I got you know I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you what NASCAR wants me to tell you, right? So when I got when I got in the car and I drove it, I was uh I was really impressed by the braking. The brakes are giant. They're gonna work better, right? I'm not surprised that they work better, but that was one thing that is completely different 
from what I've been driving. As I drove around the track, I kept finding myself really overslowing the race car. I would push the brake pedal to slow the car down, expecting the same type of braking performance that I'm used to, and the car would slow down much more than I thought it would. And so by the time I would get into the middle of the corner, I was, I was much slower than I needed to be. So there was a lot of time for me to gain into the corner. And over time, you would adapt as a driver. You would, do, you would adapt to that braking performance within a day. Uh, I ran 20 laps in the car, and that was it. But that was the first thing that stood out to me immediately. The other thing that jumped out to me was I was unsure about how the bigger, wider tire and low-profile low tire, how this tire would perform. It's shaped differently than anything I've ever raced, ever. The car has a ton of drive, meaning that when I get into the gas pedal, the tires grip the track and drive the car forward down the straightaway. On a short track, especially something as small as Bowman Gray, which is a very, uh, it's like it's a quarter mile, on something that small, which we never ran our cup cars on, when you would go to the gas in an Xfinity car or a cup car, it would light the rear tires up. You'd have a hard time trying to get the tires to grip the track. You would try. You would probably spin the tires all the way down the straightaway. You may never even get to wide open throttle because you could not apply the power to the ground and, and get the grip you needed. But this car with the wider tire, I would apply the throttle and the car would just launch forward. Mm. It wouldn't spin the tires and... I think that has a lot to do with the tire itself, but also the independent rear suspension, which I had never felt in a race car before either. The car hunkered down on the right rear and sat on the right rear and just gripped the racetrack and drove forward up, up, you know, up toward the flag stand. That was really uh, pretty impressive. So those are some good things. A few of the things that concerned me, and I didn't want to get into it that day, but I'll be honest, all right? We're going to be clear about how I feel about this car, all right? So here's, here's some things that might, you know, are going to be challenging, right? The, the cars, these aren't broken things. These aren't, these aren't things that NASCAR needs to address. But this is what's going to be a big hurdle if I were a driver. The steering in the car. So they've talked at length about having problems with the racks and different things. Well, what I noticed, and, and again... You, you, I've mentioned it, and you're going to note it. I only had a brief moment in the car at a very unusual racetrack, right? I haven't drove it at Charlotte or a big mile and a half or anything like that. So take this for what it's worth. The steering doesn't turn far enough for me. You literally have about half of the degrees of rotation in the front tires that you might have in a, in a car today, a current car. So when I try to steer the car to the left or the right, even in the garage, trying to get out of a garage stall, it turns only about half as far as, it, as a current car does. Wow. So it's hard to get out of spaces like a garage stall. It's hard to turn back. You know, it's hard to get off the racetrack. Driving the track, you don't notice it because you never get to full lock. You, mm. never, you never get to that, that moment where the wheel stops turning. You're not turning the wheel that far, but... If I was at a racetrack and got sideways and wanted to correct the car, only going to be able to steer it far uh, to a certain point, hmm. and maybe in some situations not as far as I'd like to straighten this car out, to save this car from spinning. Because the steering rotation or where you end up going, where you, when you turn the wheel and get to full lock, is about, you know, it feels like it's, it's less, it's much less than the current car. There's a bigger tire, a bigger wheel, there's all kinds of probably limitations that are that are happening up in the front suspension that are 
not allowing you to get more more turn, being able to steer the car more, turn the wheel farther. That could be something that we hear drivers comment on as they start driving this car, start racing this car, start crashing this car, start spinning this car out. Be ready to hear drivers say things about the steering lock and it not turning far enough, okay? Mm, all right. And that and just it's so interesting. Just be ready for that. Driving it under conditions in battle, it is not a problem. But trying to get in around the garage, out of your pit stall, in, yeah, trying right. to yeah, get into a pit stall. How, how, if you can't, you know, you get boxed in or something and really need to steer and turn the car far, are you going to have enough to get out of the stall? You're, just be ready for that. So the other thing was the low-profile tires. So I talked about how the car in, in social media, I said, the car does everything better. Now, we were only going 55, 60 miles an hour around that racetrack. It brakes better, it throttle, it has more drive, more grip. And people went, oh, it's easier to drive. That's no good. Well, that's not really the truth. So Tony mm. Stewart spun the car out twice, right? I go up to Tony, and I said, hey, Tony, what's going on with the with, – well, he's like, man, you know, it just happens, and you don't even know it's happening. The challenge, I think, or the reason why Tony spun the car out and why he didn't see it coming, feel it happening, be ready for – you know, why he wasn't able to – to stop it from happening, is because the sidewall of the tire is much shorter. It's a low-profile tire. This reminds me, these comments from Tony and talking to him more about spinning the car out and what that felt like, reminds me of all of the things that we heard when NASCAR went from a bias ply tire to a radial tire. So, Mike, the bias ply tire flexes more. The sidewall has more flexibility in it, okay? And so when the car starts to slide, there's the wheel would actually move in or in the tire, right? Okay. And there's a little deflection in the tire as you're starting to slide. And so that's why in the you know, when you watch racing from the seventies or eighties, you see smoke, you see cars sideways, you see them driving the cars sideways, getting loose and coming out of those slides a lot more often than you would today. Well, that's because that tire allowed them to have more forgiveness because of its flexibility. Mm. Would malleable be the word? Was it that sounds good. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to defer to you on that. Okay, <laughs> so when they went to the radial, the radial tire is a lot stiffer, yeah. a lot harder for you to flex physically with your hands, and it's harder to mount. It's all more. It's a much tougher tire to, to handle, mm -hmm. and when you put it on the race car and fill it up with air, the sidewall does not flex as much. Drivers lost a lot of that forgiveness. They lost a lot of that sensation of when the car would get sideways, having some, having a bigger box to work in in those moments to save the car or even drive the car sideways. You can no longer really do that with the radial because the sidewall had become stiffer. Drivers would all comment, if you go back in time and read those articles, I can't feel the car. It's spinning out before I know it. Mm. It snaps. There's no warning. Mm. All right. Over time, you know, they adapted. All right. This, sure. was, this was completely foreign. They didn't love it. But over time, they learned after many miles how to run this tire. And they learned what to pick up on to have to 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 get that warning. Right. And to understand where the limit was and to understand how not to, you know, step over that line. Mm -hmm. We adapted right over over decades. And the same 
if this tire, you know, if this tire's around for a while, the same will happen here. So when we get into racing, when we get into battle, uh, you're going to hear drivers say things like, I had no warning. I can't feel it. I can't tell when it's going to spin. I got a ton of grip, and all of a sudden I got none. I don't know when this thing's going to wreck, right? They're going to say all the things similarly to what we talked about or heard from drivers when they went to the radial. So that is another challenge. That is a that is a good challenge, I think. Sounds like it. It's not a fun thing as a driver. Sure. It's not going to be a great experience to have to have to wander into that unknown and learn that and adapt to that. And you don't want to destroy cars trying to do it, right? That's a fear that's a scary proposition, but uh it is going to be it's going to be a minefield mm-hmm. for some of those guys when they go out on the racetrack of understanding where the line is of where's the limit of grip and how to run as close to that without destroying your car. Right, so and it'll be trial by error, it but will. you got to figure out where the new edge is. For sure. And if this, you know, and, and so that's those are two things that kind of stand out to me. Well, those are significant. As big, <laughs> those as, are good. As big analogy. challenges. Yeah. You know, the car otherwise you know i don't i want to drive it at bigger tracks to learn even more about it and and have a little more information and feedback for you guys about that but um i think it's going to be a pretty interesting year next year and just keep your just keep your ear to the ground and read you know when you're listening to drivers talk about the car or you're hearing analysts or or even crew chiefs and owners and so forth discuss the car kind of read between the lines and um you know, drivers are emotional. Drivers are going to hop. You know, drivers are going to, you know, overreact. Be dramatic. Be yeah, dramatic. For sure. Yeah, right. So kind of. Some, some may say whiny. Right. We'll read between the lines a little bit, and, and it's going to be fun to sort of understand and listen how they handle this car and how they adapt to it. It's going to be, um, there's going to be some good things that they're going to like, and there's going to be some moments that, that surprise them, and they're not going to have an explanation for it, or they're going to have to, it's going to be a, l- a learning process. Yeah. So I got a couple things I want to say. One is uh, next week's download is going to be dedicated for us just learning more about this next gen car. We've got some people like the engineer from Chevrolet who has been part of the project. Eric Warren is going to be here in Austin Dillon, who's been, you know, yeah. testing this car a lot for the Chevrolet folks is going to be here. And we're going to just really kind of like unpack this car even to more detail than what Dale's doing now. But that's why I saw this opportunity that you had to go test it was so beneficial for all of us one to hear the feedback you're giving now and also to really kind of build up a show for next week I, I look forward to that the other thing I wanted to ask you and these may be quick nose Dale but any of the concerns that the drivers had brought up in the months past like the the firewall and the heat were you in the car long enough to even be able to tell if that's an issue still no okay I didn't drive the car long enough to really create a uh a uh, an environment that drivers are going to experience in the race. I cannot comment personally about what I think about the heat, but I do know that it is a massive concern for the drivers. It is a real concern and a real issue. Heard about interior temperatures in these cars during testing. I've talked to drivers and they've told me the numbers about how warm the car was inside, physical data uh, that backs up that these, you know, backs up the concerns that the drivers have. I, NASCAR absolutely needs to address a way to cool the interior of the car, mandating cool suits is a great uh, is a great thing. I think even in today's car, but that is not a fix. I don't think NASCAR thinks it's a fix. Right. I know NASCAR is going to try to do more 
to try to uh, get some of this air out of the interior of the car, try to um, cycle air in the interior of the car or whatever they need to do to bring those temps down. 150 degrees inside a race car is too hot. Mm-hmm. That's happened on occasion during the few years that I've broadcast, having the op- opportunity to, ha- to look at the temperature gauges inside the cars while the race is going on. 150 degrees is absolutely pushing the limits of these drivers physically, and it is a terrible thing for them to have to go through. It is not a healthy thing uh, for them to have to experience. And so we, try to, we need to try to absolutely avoid getting toward that number if we can. And there's, they will. There's going to be moments. You know, you go to, you go to Chicago a couple years ago, and, uh, and it's unavoidable. You can't control what's going on with Mother Nature you're going to have those 150 degree days every once in a while, but we need to get, we need car, we need our average, I think, for these drivers to be much, much, much lower, 120, uh, 125 degrees, if not even less, yeah, for these guys on a on an average weekend. So that that's uh that's something I'm worried about. I didn't want to really get into it too much because I didn't experience it, but right. I'm trying to give myself opportunities to drive the car more. There's a lot of testing that's going to be happening at different racetracks. I think there's a Phoenix test and maybe a Daytona test or some some other test uh, for sure going on. By time wherever they're testing, mm-hmm. from now until I get back in the booth, I'm going to try my hardest to to get behind the wheel of a couple Chevrolets and uh, get some more time uh, so I can be better in the booth. By no means am, am I trying to help any organization or am I trying to, you know, get, uh, you know, get myself geared up to go run a race. I just want to uh, learn about the car. I do not want to go into a broadcast booth. I don't want to be a broadcaster if I don't know what kind of race car they're driving. Right, right. Not fun. That's fair. Yeah. Hey, I got one more question, if you don't mind me asking. Running at Bowman Gray. Yeah. Did it, it did it change your opinion or did it influence you in any way? Just putting laps at that place, knowing that they run every week there, and also did it change your opinion or influence you in looking forward to the Clash at the LA Coliseum? When they talked about going to the Clash, my immediate reaction I was not a, I'm not a big fan of it. I was a little skeptical. That's a very tiny track. How would our cars adapt? It's just going to be them rolling around there. I mean, watching them go around there, at, you know, 55, 60 miles an hour. I didn't know what that would be like. Our, will our drivers go out there and go for it, right? Will, mm-hmm. they, will, will pride be enough to, uh, to, to, to implore them to go out there and, and, and make a show, right? Or will they go out there and just you know, log laps, log laps yeah. and do the dance and come home? We'll see. You know, we'll see what happens. I, you know, the car, I, I, when I drove, to answer your question, when I drove the car, I went, oh, this is going to be fine. This mm-hmm. is fine. This, this car goes around this track. It's fun to drive around this track. This car will do great at the Coliseum. Our current cup car, I wouldn't want anything to do with that. Mm. That car, with, that, with those trailing arms and that straight rear axle, or with that rear housing and trailing arm, all, all they don't do anything it's not going to do anything right around there. It's not going to do anything good around there. It's not going to stop. It's not going to go. It would be miserable to race around that little track. You know, the independent suspension and things like that really make getting around that track funner, more more enjoyable. Good to know. So I I, uh, I went from skeptical, not sure about this, to this is a good idea. All right. This is going to work. 
All right. That's good. That's my honest opinion. That's it. That's it. That's all we need. Awesome. And you turned some good laps times. Oh, yeah. Um, Matthew, we, let's talk about that. So Clint's there. We walk up. I talked to Clint, and I'm like, man, I called him earlier in the week, and I said, uh, we need to get up to this race car and, and check the seat out, make sure it's going to fit. And he's like, I know. He's really worried. I'm worried. He's like, he's like, Stuart's really short. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, I don't remember Stuart being that short. Uh, but he's like, yeah, he's a little short. He's like, man, I, we need to get up there, but I can't get up there. And I was like, I can't either. I'm just going to – so I called the RC guy, RCR guy, who, where the car was at RCRs. I said uh, – I said, just bring a, a sheet of uh, one-inch foam, and if I got to stick some foam somewhere, that's what I'll do. I'm only going to run the car uh, five to twenty laps. I just want to, you know, I just want to. I don't want to drive the car hundred laps. I'm just going to get in there and drive it. And when I feel like I got an understanding of what it's doing, I'm going to get out. So Clint's like, yeah, I'm doing the same thing. So we get up there, and uh, Clint's like, oh, I ain't going to go out there and go fast. I ain't going to go out there and go fast. I'm just going to, I'm just going to go out there and drive it and get out and talk about it and go home. And I said, yeah, I think, you know, Stewart's out there running hard, trying to push his car. He's spinning out, you know, mm -hmm. and he's trying to give them the best data they can to understand the tire and whether they're making the right choice for this for this clash. And it's NASCAR's next-gen car. I've always drove cars for most of my career that I felt like belonged to me or belonged to family, right? Right. And when you drive somebody else's car, it's a weird feeling, right? You don't want to tear it up. Anyways... You know, I get in there, and I ran, and, and they're telling me the lap times. And uh, I knew Stuart ran some um, – Stuart's fast laps were like 15 twos, 15 threes. Okay. In lap 20 or so, or lap 40, he would drop off to the 15 fives. And so I was out there running, and I got down to a 15 six, and I thought, I better stop. You know, I'm getting I'm, – I'm, I'm over my head. I've only run about 20 laps, and I don't know where the right side of this car is. I don't know where I am in, in – I don't know how close to the wall I'm getting on the straightaways. I don't want to hit anything. Mm -hmm. Tony got surprised by a couple spins. I don't want to. I don't want to spin and hit anything. Then Clint can't drive it. So I thought, all right, I'm I'm in over my head, overdriving this thing, and maybe I should take a break, if, hop back in in a minute and 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 go again. But I'm fifteen six. I was pretty happy with that. Clint gets out there. Matthew's there. Matthew's timing everybody right. Yeah. And I'm watching Clint go around. I watch him run a, like a, a corner or two, and then somebody asked me if I'd go upstairs to say hey to some say hey to somebody's mother, and so I go upstairs to say hello to this guy, this guy's mom, and a fan was up there, and and he goes, uh, Clint's done running by now, and this fan goes, hey man, I saw you running better laps than Clint, mm. and I said, did I? And he goes, oh yeah, Clint was pretty slow, and I said, really? Well, that's nice to know. I wasn't <laughs> even I was I was afraid to ask. You know, because you were all competitive, right? Yeah. And if Tony, me, and Clint go to a racetrack and jump in a car, you don't want to be the slowest guy. Right. But I was afraid to ask. I didn't. I was just going to ignore it and, and get right. out of there and not even never know. It's best to not even know. Right. You didn't want to show your hand and let people know that it was in your mind. It but was. we know that every, it's in everyone's mind. Exactly. So I'm like, oh, all right, maybe I was better than Clint. I'll just take this guy's word for it, right? And so <laughs> I come downstairs. I'm on my way home. I'm I'm driving home and uh, Dustin Long puts out an article, and in the article Clint is quoted as saying, "Oh, I'm happy." They were like, "Clint, how'd you, are you happy? Did you enjoy the test?" He goes, "Oh yeah, I'm happy. I put two tenths on Stewart, and I, hunt, I I was a half a second faster than Dale." Oh my! <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, I know that's not true, right? Because it's physically impossible right. for one right. to run faster than than Tony, Tony did, right?" And uh, 
no damn way he got out there and ran 15 laps and beat Tony's time after Tony'd been in there for 100 laps, right? And so I text Dillner, and I'm like, Matthew, you were there. What did Clint do? And he goes, I was timing Clint. He never ran in the 15s. What did you Whoa. say? Whoa. No, I th- I th- he, he got down. He was in the 15s. Oh, but okay. What did he run? He didn't run faster than you. What did he run? I don't know the exact time, but probably what? like 15, 7, 15. Okay. I mean, he wasn't even the right gear the first three laps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. He was in the wrong gear and all that. Moron. <laughs> but I just love the fact that typical Clint, he comes out, oh, yeah, it's That's faster hilarious, than everybody. Actually. That is actually very funny. <laughs> so the dude, this, this is this is Clint Boyer in a nutshell. Right. Okay? It's, it's brilliant. <laughs> I'm, hey, man, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to go up there. I'm just going to make my laps and get out. I'm going to make my laps and go home. You know, I ain't worried about, you know, running fast and all that. Okay, Clint. Cool, man. Yeah, me too. Yeah. He gets in there and runs. Oh, man. <laughs> Claims he won the test. I won. <laughs> you got that Clint Boyer stopwatch. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what? Totally threw me into the, through the woods. Yeah. During the, um, so I got, <laughs> during, that, during the re- uh, broadcast this weekend in Martinsville, uh, on NBC. Mm. Yeah. Somebody found a, a louder trumpet. That's right. Somebody found a louder mic. They talked about, they were, we were talking about the next gen test during the race. And, and, uh, Rick Allen, he said, Hey, man, how, how did y'all run lap times? And I said, I told him what I thought was true. I said, well, I said, Tony run 15 fives and a little, qu- and a little quicker. I ran a six and Clint, Clint was in the 16s. So he, <laughs> But I thought you said he was in the 16. Do you, you think he ran a 7 or six, uh, seven like 7 or 16, 8? Like, yeah, I think he ran like a 7 or 8. But, okay. yeah, no, he was – you yeah, were faster, he, man. Yeah. Tony got down to like a 1.5, like in a 1.8 a few times, yeah. but he was quick. Yeah. That's hilarious. That Clint Boyer stopwatch, man. And so then NBC Sports PR put out a press release saying, NBC, <laughs> greater than Fox. <laughs> I'm kidding. They didn't do that. They thought it, I bet. <laughs> Everybody's thinking it. That's funny, though. Did Clint say anything to you? No. No. He, no. he, he's he didn't know. Man. He didn't know. So uh, better, better for him not to know. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Dirty Mo Media President Mike Davis here. Excited to tell you about one of our newest sponsors at Dirty Mo, Airbnb. The irony here is that Airbnb is new to Dirty Mo Media, but Dirty Mo Media is not new to Airbnb. It has been accommodating us for years. And if you are a race fan, and I think you are, you know why. I mean, you've booked hotels at, uh, during a race weekend. They're, the prices are insane. You're stuck with these unreasonable multi-night minimums. Whereas Airbnb, you got many choices, all within proximity, and it ends up being way more affordable. Now, I'm not only a frequent Airbnb guest, but my wife and I are also Airbnb hosts. And you should be too. We've been doing it for years. I'll tell you why. We have an investment property that we realized it could be earning additional income through Airbnb. You don't have to have an investment property to do that. You could just find extra space in your home. That works too. It all could be making you some extra cash. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. We got a little quick, quick little news on our Junior Motorsports Late Model Program. Everybody knows that Josh Berry's been racing in that car. Uh, we've had a lot of drivers come through the, the, the Late Model Program over the years. Sam Mayer, who's currently with us uh, next year and in this year, but next year full time in the Xfinity Series. William Byron. We've had a lot of great drivers in that program, and and Josh as well. Well, Josh moving on, moving on into the full time. Xfinity Series, he still will run a race or two. He'd love to run around five races next year in our late mall car, but we 
have tagged a awesome little driver uh, for our car full-time next year. Travis Quapple's son, Carson, wow, uh, is going to drive junior, late mo- junior Motorsports late model car anywhere from hopefully around 22 events next year. And uh, I'd love the car to run as much as possible. Carson is an up-and-coming uh, little talent racing. His, uh, he's got a super late model that he's been running with his dad for a while. They've ran and won some big races, won the Cars Tour Super Late Model Championship this year. And uh, he's won out at Nashville Fairgrounds and, and other little places around the, around the southeast. And uh, he's started racing at Mill Bridge uh, at the dirt track years ago. But anyways, cool little kid, hard worker. His dad, uh, Travis, works so hard. Uh, with those kids to give them opportunities. I'm thrilled for Carson. And we've got some great support from our partners at iRacing, All Things Automotive, Chevrolet, that are helping us be able to put this program together to be able to hire, you know, bring in a guy like Carson and give him an opportunity. So our partners on our program uh, at Junior Motorsports, we're, we're so happy to have them because it allows us to do some pretty fun stuff. So looking forward to that next year. Uh, you'll be able to follow along on Junior Motorsports social media handles to see how Carson's doing each week, uh, along with everything else going on in our Xfinity Series programs. Uh, so I'm excited about that. You know, that that late model program is my baby, and, and it kind of is the roots of the sport, and, and I love to be able to uh, plug in drivers into that car and see what they can do and try to try to give them opportunities. And it's nice to know that it's going to keep going with Carson next year. That is cool. I, I saw you guys out front last week, and – I was uh, looking at the glass. I said, I don't remember who was standing beside me. And I said, hey, that looks like Travis Crobble. Was it you, yeah. Dillner? Yeah. And he goes, it is. Yeah, that's who it is. I'm like, what, what in the world? I said, uh, and, and wow, what mullets those sons have. Oh, yeah. Impressive. Yeah. Two observations I had. But, yeah, that's really neat. And um, look forward to that. I, you know, you bring up a point. Like Josh Berry, now that he's going full-time Xfinity racing, who takes over that car, right? Like that car has made a name. For, it's a brand in itself. What Josh has built, and this is who is gonna, you know, take the throne. That's, well, let me. It's nice. That is, and we're gonna give Carson a, a lot of time to get adapted to our car and our program. Uh, no pressure on Carson. Listen, Josh Berry raced that car for ten years. That's right. And he ran, and, and I don't know how many years it was before he became the force that he was. It wasn't right out. It didn't happen overnight. You know, it took him a while to get to that point to where he was a threat every every racetrack he went to, and eventually a national champion. Uh, we don't expect Carson to go out there and repeat that same type of performance. We're going to try to give him opportunity to progress as a as a as a young man and a driver, uh, and do and, and and continue his career. So, and I think we can do that. Man, it's awesome to have Chevy on board with us, and as many of you probably know, I've spent a lot of time yeah. with my Chevys yeah. now and again, and most recently. I've owned a few Silverados in my time. I own two now. That's right. Got uh, you a new one. Yeah, I got a 2000 and an 04. And then I have a brand new Silverado. Just sold my 17. When the Trail Boss trim came out with this new generation Silverado, this is a while back. I think it was 2017. I was in Texas Motor Speedway. They, they sent me down there for the unveil of the all-new Silverado. Now, I've owned trucks in the past like i said but uh this new truck really stood out to me and the one thing i loved about it was the body character and the stance of the truck uh the the character lines in the fenders quarter panels how they all kind of work together and how that makes the truck look in personality 
that matters to me. You know, grill, headlights, all those things. And Chevy certainly changed it up over the years. But uh, the new Silverado, as soon as they brought that thing out, I said, I turned to the Chevy guy and I said, I'm buying one of those. I absolutely want a brand new truck right now. Mm -hmm. And so um, that was my emotions. Not that, hey, get me a truck, bring it right here, deliver it to me today. It was just, hey, I want you to know I'm going to go get one of these. It will be mine. Yeah. So, Mike, I recently sold my 2017, and I've got a brand new truck. They look relatively similar, and I assumed that they would operate the same. Man, I was wrong. Oh, really? Yes. This all-new ZR2, it really does take it to the next level with a chassis and suspension calibrated specifically for off-road performance. 33-inch off-road tires, steel front and rear bumpers for added durability, and there's clearance too, man. So plus much more off-road functionality. The first ever Silverado ZR2 will take strength and capability to new heights. Be sure to visit Chevy.com to learn more. We had a we had an awesome weekend at Martinsville. Martinsville never disappoints. Great truck race, great Xfinity race, great Cup race. Amazing crowd, great energy. I say it all the time. I say it every year after Martinsville. That right there is exactly who NASCAR and what NASCAR is to me. That experience that you have when you go to that short track and what you feel, the emotions, the drama, that is my NASCAR. And that's what I want my NASCAR to give me every single weekend. Did you watch him? I did. Yeah. Boy, what not a dull moment all no. weekend. I had, I, 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 first of all, I just want to give props to Noah Graxon. Call me a homer. Whatever. <laughs> that kid showed his talent in that race. My gosh, man. Went out and won that thing. And let me tell you something. As, as emotional as we know Noah is, after last week, for him to rebound, com- compose himself, and go win that race after how down he was last week, how angry he was last week. Man, just another reason why you should keep your eyes on Noah Graxon because that kid has something special. I really do believe that. That was my first observation. Uh, do you want to re- react to Xfinity? Because then there's cup stuff that I... Sure. Um, <laughs> I agree with you on Noah. I think um, Noah is such an interesting guy his uh, emotional roller coaster that he lives on is <laughs> up and down it's all big hills <laughs> the highest of highs <laughs> and the lowest of lows and you know for, forgive the guy i mean he's going through a lot of things not only so you know he's got a lot of things going on in his own personal life he's on the other side of the country away from what he grew up in i mean he's only just in his early 20s and he's removed from his family and all of the comforts and the and and that little safety net back home. Uh, he's way out of his comfort zone, all the way on the East Coast, on his own. He has no one out here. Us, yeah. Josh Wise, uh, you know what? A few friends that he can lean on. Otherwise, he's his own man. Mm-hmm. If I was left, if I was put in that position in my early twenties, no way, I would be going to martinsville and winning races in an xfinity car no way no i wouldn't made it he makes he makes some mistakes he's a human being he's flawed he you know he he's up and down but dang yeah does he not recover yeah those those 
you know, when he when he makes us when he makes a misstep or they have a bad day or a bad weekend and his emotions are down, I don't know that I could have turned it around. I don't know that me in that same situation at that age right. could turn it around. Right. We were imbeciles at that age. Oh God. And so I gotta give him credit. And he's got a long way to go. A lot of maturity left. And that's okay. He should, I mean, he's dang. He's, he's it, uh, that's not a knock on him. That's to say there's even more good things coming Yeah. as he continues on this path and he makes less mistakes and he, and he takes that maturity and experience forward. Really, I mean, the guy really, the sky's the limit. Even if he goes beyond racing here and goes into the Cup Series for another team, uh, you, yeah, he's going to have all the experiences to, to fall back on. He's going to have all the mistakes and all the triumphs and so much stuff that's going to help him in difficult situations uh, going forward in in a race car and out of a race car. So if he survives yeah. the next couple of years, uh, really the sky's the limit. He's going to have all the tools in the, tool, in the toolbox, don't you think? I feel the same way, and it just I, I think about this coming weekend. He He's absolutely an underdog going uh-huh. into this weekend, right? He's an underdog. There's guys that are, you know, Contending I think he's for the absolute, championship. I think he's a threat. But he, uh, but I, that's what oh, I was going to say. Yeah. He's an underdog because there's people that have won more and there are people that, you know, have, have certainly had more headlines. But watch out because the guy is, he is absolutely capable of going and taking that thing. Yeah. I hope he does. The cup race. You know, that when I got up to the booth, <laughs> I, I sent a tweet out. Uh, when I got up to the booth, the inter- driving up there, first off, there's everybody was talking about how bad the traffic was love it in a positive way right right hell, hell yeah the traffic yes kyle bush had to <laughs> run back. yeah kyle had to run in from a mile out down i love the, it brewster yeah. baker style kyle I know that. yeah kyle's in traffic and he's like man i got stuff to do i got to get there so he parks on the side of the road a mile oh. away and runs down the railroad tracks to get to the racetrack <laughs> kyle bush that's uh, that that that's awesome that's awesome it feels good it feels old school we need traffic and it, it gave me a little bit of flashbacks because you and I used to drive to to, to Martinsville on race we day. Pushed and when we pushed <laughs> it. was so nerve wracking, man. It was. And it was just talking about just getting to appearances and stuff, man. I understand why you would get out and run the rest of the way if that's your yes. only option. Yeah, I get it. But that means that the sports fans are back. Yeah, I love that. Well, they love. They know what they're going to get at that racetrack, and they know. They're not gonna, you know, they're not they're 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 gonna get what they expect, and and they did. Every single race was great. I saw a lot of people commenting on social media that were watching the race that oh well it was it was an okay race or or maybe it was not that exciting till the last hundred laps. But the problem with that is is like watching on TV, we can only show what we can show on the screen. All right, so we're showing you either the battle for first, the battle for fourth, whatever that we're showing, right? But there is. Fifteen other things happening oh, yeah. on the racetrack at the same time that I can't show you on your couch, right? And now I love our numbers to be good. I want people to tune in and watch us race. But if you were there in person to see all of the things going on every single corner, the beating, the banging, the slipping, the sliding, the, the frustrations, the dry, there were things happening in the back half of the field between the Benedetto and all these other guys that, uh, you know, Corey LaJoy that, you know, we're not showing because we're showing something else that's just hilarious, wild, yeah, yeah. entertaining. And if you're there in your seat <laughs> and at the racetrack, you can experience that. And you will understand that the first 300 laps of that race 
was not mundane. It was insane. It was insane. Yeah. And um, you know, the other thing, too, we, we're, I'm standing there on the front straightaway. It took the entire front straightaway. Giant marching band on the racetrack. Now, nothing is going to raise the energy and atmosphere pre-race better than a marching band. By God, marching band. Damn straight. This is why I love college football. Yeah. So, all of that's going on. We got a marching band playing. They were, I don't know how many people's in this band. It was huge. (laughs) That's cool. All down the front straightaway. That's cool. In formation. There was a giant crowd around the intro stage for intros on the front straightaway. All of the souvenir haulers, souvenir trailers out on Souvenir Row off of Turn 4 outside the racetrack where the duck pond used to be, lined up mm. before the race. Usually, you know, you, you go out there after the race and you'll see them lined up trying to get the race winner stuff or whatever. But they were, every souvenir hauler had five people five deep trying to get in there and get stuff. Everywhere you looked, it was fields full of cars. Mm. glistening windshields and paint jobs and all that, you know, sun bouncing off of them. It was just awesome. When we pulled in Saturday morning, uh, we were seeing campers before we typically see campers as we were getting closer to the track. That's when you kind of know you got a great race weekend when you're kind of getting about a mile from the track and you're starting to see campers already. People already, you know, that's how far the footprint is for the fan base that showed up for that race weekend. So, I do think that you guys did a fantastic job covering the. You had three battles at the end going on, all that had points implications, and and with that uh, the graphic and the live points and then the live running orders. I mean, that's a lot to cover, and I think you guys did it well. Thank you. Um, I was able to follow, and man, you needed all of that information to keep up with what was going on. I mean, you had all the the guys trying to take that last spot or the last two spots, and they were all running there at the front. Um, even my wife was watching it with me and she was like yeah i you know she i didn't have to explain anything to her it was all done so i thought the broadcast was fantastic i did too we you know i walked out of there going i we did a good job i did a good job our truck did a good job even the pre-race our countdown to greens are so fun with marty dale jarrett and kyle petty the energy the comments the honesty the dale jarrett and kyle petty duo for just as analysts and honesty marty does a great job running that show, that's gotten so much fun to watch and listen to. I even go up into the booth and put my headphones on even before we need to to listen to them going back and forth. We had a produced piece by Rutledge uh, about Halloween and the racetrack and all that, and that was done so well. I just felt like for whatever reason, you get up in the, you know, you get up and you get up in the booth and you're just like, man, today's going to be a good one. You're feeling good energy and it's kind of seeping through the entire production. And so, yeah, I felt pretty awesome about the job we did. And uh, I feel like we covered it well. We get, you know, it's it's funny. We start the season every we. I say the season. We when we get in the booth in, in the middle of the year, it's clunky. It's it's we we come out of the gate sort of, you know. There's a few missteps and and it feels like you haven't done this in a while. Yeah. And as we get to the end of the year, you're like, damn, we're hitting on all cylinders and we got to stop. Yeah. Every year I've been in the broadcast booth. By the time we get to Phoenix, I'm like, damn, we're kicking ass. And then it's over. <laughs> I I, I want to mention one thing. I know we got to wrap. I know, but this is important to me. I, I think that, and I don't think Dale Jr., you'll have a strong opinion about this, but I just want to take one more observation and say this. Denny Hamlin's interview afterwards, he he dropped an F-bomb. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I'm 
curious if there are listeners to this podcast, many of which I assume are Dale Jr. fans, Jr. Nation. I wonder if they have the same reaction that I do, which is a quick trigger that when somebody curses on TV, you don't you you get pissed off not because you're offended by the profanity, but it throws you right back to 2004 when you got docked points. I can't get that out of my mind. And it and it it's now happens enough now on TV where people are cursing on TV and it just it, it, it reminds me that I'm still harboring things from 2004 because uh, that 25 points was important, dang it. You're we not needed alone. those 25 you're not points. Alone. That was our junior question this week. Somebody wanted to know Dale had me. feelings. Yeah, you're not alone, Mike. I think every, I see so much of that in my timeline. Do you? Oh yeah. And um it's it, it is different it, time, I guess. It, it is. It is. But I, it apps and it's I, it absolutely triggers, and it's okay all yeah. right, to, to feel that way. And it's okay to be frustrated about it. I'm glad that we can have that. I mean, F-bombs are probably a little far. I don't, I, I, don't know that, I don't know that Denny needs a penalty, maybe a monetary fine or something like that, because we do need to deter drivers from saying the F-word. Sure, right? yeah. I think our network would prefer they not. Uh, but <laughs> if we don't do anything to deter it, they will continue it. Because they're drivers and they, they and they're heat of the moment, yeah. and, and we appreciate that part of our sport where you know you get drivers in the heat of the moment. I think and you a, get their... I think a s bomb, uh, uh, you know, a damn, a hell, right. all those words are acceptable. Yeah, especially when you're celebrating like yes. you were. Yeah, he was mad. And I he... think we're in a good place right now, but I think we should deter the f bomb, and and maybe they'll just have a conversation with Denny and ask him probably to refrain from doing it going forward, or any driver really, right? Right? They'll send out some sort of email or something. You would I think. Don't know. Well, I just I, I I feel like I need a little bit of therapy right there. I need to get that off my chest. Is well, you no, you're you're not any different than a lot of old Earnhardt fans and, yeah. and fans of mine that remember that day, you know, and it's still it's frustrating. October third was the race, two thousand four. October fifth was the day that NASCAR handed out the penalties. It yeah. was ten thousand dollars and twenty five points. We went to Atlanta. Something else I can't forget, Carl Edwards causing that wreck at the end that really kind of put the nail in the coffin of our title hopes. Yep. There's broke, a few other things we, that I still <laughs> can't get past. <laughs> I think we th- we broke a rear end at uh, Martinsville. That's right. Hurt us so bad. Yep, that hurt us. So I know people are going to want our opinions on Denny, uh, Alex, and the whole finish and all that. Oh, yeah. We, uh, we're going to lean into that in the Ask Junior later in the show. Okay, guys, I'm going to play that uh, Burton trailer. The following contains strong language and is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. There's been some times I want to say, fuck it. I am done with this <laughs> stupid-ass shit. It was one of the worst nightmares I've ever been through in my life. I wanted to be the phenom. I wanted to come in and win everything. You take your parents and your family and your loved ones on the journey with you, but it's about you. If I'm competing with somebody, I don't really want to be your buddy. I was living my shit through him. Didn't bring us any closer together. I was never handed anything, but I was always felt secure in my job. The Burton family has always loved each other. Jeb, when I'm 21 and we can go and share a beer, I think that's going to be a big deal. I, I wouldn't fight Ward for nothing. Don't tell him I said that. Uh, but... <laughs> but they haven't always liked each other. 
You're going to have some kind of conflict with everybody you race with if you race long enough. Felt like I'm the oldest time for me to reach out to Jeff to see how in the future maybe some of this family tension can be worked out. Jeb and Harrison Burton are assigned with an impossible task. Race against family for survival? If it doesn't work for me and Harrison, I don't know who's it gonna work for. If we fail, I think it's over. Yeah, there was a time when everyone was quick to want me out of the sport. And race to continue the legacy started by their dads. Checkered flag is up, and Ward Burton is going to win the 44th Daytona 500. Jeff Burton, the first repeat winner in Texas Motor Speedway. There'll be a moment that they have an issue, and they're going to have to figure out how to work that out. Harrison Burton turns left. Harrison Burton's going to win in Texas. A Burton's going back to victory lane in NASCAR. Jeff Burton, first career win. The roads those two young men are taking are just completely different. The way I raced, and I'm not always proud of this, but everything came second. Life is not going to end over these damn race cars. I'm trying not to cry. The Burton Continuum, a 10-part episodic podcast series. Coming soon to Dirty Mo Media. So, Mike, this is... Uh... This is going to be some awesome content. This is a little bit different than what I feel like Dirty Mo Media has been producing over the past several several years. Uh, this is a great step in a new direction for us as a as a business. But let's just talk about this. The I was shocked, a bit surprised, Mike, that you were able to get these four guys <laughs> to be this honest, be so genuine about their relationship. And their lives, right? Mm -hmm. We've had Ward and Jeff in the studio, and we know that there were some ups and downs between the two of them, and there were some challenges in each of their lives, and, and sometimes those, those, ro those roads crossed. We got to imagine that that's also been challenging for Jeff. Just growing up in their shadows is difficult enough, but being competitive with each other, right? One, one may be feeling like the other one, was getting a better opportunity, right? These guys are going to be open and honest about all of this, and uh, and it should be revealing about who they are. You know, we think we know Jeb, we think we know Harrison, but really, only only part that we really get to see is what they allow us to see. But this is something new, something deeper, and also the honesty from their dads is pretty incredible. Not only all that, but we get to live out like the stories being written as we live out day to day right now. I mean, Jeb and Harrison are in the, you know, they're in their careers right now. They're trying to find their way. They're trying to make it. And so we get to live out this story as it goes, but we get to glean from the past, which is what, the, what fascinates me the most. Like, listen, here's what we know. Racing takes such a tremendous toll on families, right? I'm just, just even mechanics and team members, right? Like, you know, it just, it's, it's so hard on families, but now you layer in the fact that you got families that compete against each other. Well, I got to be honest with you. The Waltrips have talked about that. The Bodines were very public about their feuding. And it's like, wow, what happens when you got families that literally have to go against each other? And how, what, what does that do in their, you know, their home lives? What does it do in their personal lives? Well, the Burtons have been very forthcoming about how, they held grudges, and it caused wounds, and these wounds lasted a long time, and all that's been documented. Here's my interest. What does that mean for Jeb and Harrison? 
I love both these guys. Harrison, first of all, let me talk about him. Harrison Burton is the most respectful and polite and likable person that I think is in the garage right now. The kid is just, for me, I've been around him enough. I sat at a table with him at a dinner, and I'm just like, I'm blown away of how mature he is and and how likable he is. Now, he's nothing like Jeb, which is to say that Jeb isn't unlikable. Jeb is very much likable, but in a completely different way. And so I'm intrigued, and this story for us, is a, it's a nonfiction narrative series that it'll have a beginning, it'll have an end, but we don't know quite what the end is yet, and I want the listeners to kind of live it with us all, right? And I wanted to live it with Harrison and Jeb, and this is not about Harrison versus Jeb. I want to make sure that's clear. It's not Harrison versus Jeb. It is Harrison and Jeb versus their realities and the, the fact that racing takes a toll on families. And how are they going to navigate, especially at such a young age, how are they going to navigate success, which they both have had it, failures, which they both have had it, and we're going to live this out. So this is what the Burton Continuum is. It's a, it's a family show. It's a second-generation show, and it's something that I'm very excited about for Dirty Mo Media. All right, Tommy Russell is here, guys. Let's bring him on into the studio. I can't wait. I can't either. Cars in action here at Metrolina Speedway. We'll be this Friday night. This Friday night. Your winner out of Kanapolis, North Carolina. Hey. What's up, Tommy? Yes, sir. That's right. That's right. Welcome. I watch your show. Yes, sir. Halloween night, you know what? I was watching for you and made sure you didn't come to that baseball bat and get my mailbox. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I saw that show. That's funny. Uh, I don't know if everybody on the podcast heard, but Tommy's already protecting his mailbox after hearing our stories. I no from longer uh, play mailbox baseball these days. <laughs> Good. I'm glad Take a seat, buddy. Go that. ahead. They might, not, they might not have hauled me to jail at 16, but they probably would these days. Now, these, these two are, were Randy's. Really? And my sister gave them to me, and I said, well, I'm going to give them to Dale Jr. Back in the day, it's hard to believe, but the Concord Tribune covered racing in our area every weekend. Yeah. Was down at the shop, in here, there, there, up at Ralph's, you know. And Randy has got about everything out of them newspapers in these two volumes right That's here. That's cool. And I got one, too. All right. Mine's got more pictures in it than Randy's, but his is mostly the newspaper article. Yeah. So. so Tommy Russell. That's me. Um, where were you born? In Concord, North Carolina. What uh, What's your family's connection to racing? Your dad raced. My dad, he owned race cars. He owned race cars. He built. He's uh, one of the best engine builders in in the state at that time. What time was this? When was this? This was in the fifties and sixties. Uh-huh. Um, used to everybody run the flathead Ford. I don't know if you know what a flathead Ford is, uh-huh. but they run that engine. Well, Daddy developed um, a distributor. The, the distributor that come with the engine had one set of points. Well, Daddy figured out how to put two sets of points in there, and he put a bigger coil on there, and then he, he built a, a table where he could put the distributor on there and run it, and he had the spark plug wires on there, and he could pull them off and see how much fire it was shooting out of it and make sure he got them all even and everything. And people were coming in from Georgia and South Carolina and Virginia and North Carolina. They always told me this. He said, Tommy, he said, I want you to look at these distributors coming in. He said, this one right here, Ralph brought it in. And it was like brand new. No mud, no dirt on it, nothing. 
And he showed me some of the other guys bringing them in here, covered mud, water got inside them and all that. And he said, that's why Ralph wins all those races. He takes care of his stuff, yeah. <laughs> his stuff. But uh, Ralph was a big part, of course, Dale's life. He's a big part of my life, too. How so? Well, it all started out with, and Dale told me later on, he said, I hated you, Tommy. I said, what would you hate me for? You didn't even know me. He said, you remember when you went with uh, Ralph to Columbia? I said, yeah. And I said, what had happened, Ralph was down at Daddy's shop. They were over there. I, they were talking. And I, I'd come home on a, a couple weeks' leave from the Marine Corps, and Ralph walked over there, and he said, I hear you're going to Vietnam in about a week. And I said, yes, sir, going to Vietnam. He said, how would you like to go with me to Columbia tonight to, uh, Thursday night to the race? I said, yeah, I'd go, I'd go anywhere with you, Ralph. And so when I got to go, that knocked Dale out of getting in, being able to go down in the oh, tow no. truck. Because it was Ralph, it was a highway patrolman, I don't remember his name, and me in the tow truck. And <laughs> Dale didn't get to go, so that's why he hated me. So. Oh, man. So what was that experience like going with him to the race? Oh, I, I, I thought the world of Ralph. And what years later, not too many years later, when I got out of the Marine Corps, my objective was to build a race car. I got the picture of the one I finally got built. But... Um, Daddy said, well, let's go up to Ralph's. Let's see what he's got to say about it. So we went up there, and we went in, in, the, in the house and sat down at Martha's table. Ralph went over everything. He, he told me what kind of car frame to go get. He's a 54 Ford frame. He, he liked those for dirt. He told me how to plate the side of it on outside on both sides, make it a lot stronger. He told me about the caster and camber and all that stuff, and uh, – the springs to use and what to do with that top A and bottom A arms to make them stronger and covered everything. So when I told Dad I was going to build that car, he said, who's going to drive it? I said, I'm going to drive it. Yeah. Mm. And he said, well, he said, I can't keep you from driving a race car, but I can keep you from using this shop to build it in. Mm. So I was messed up then with those little shop above, above my daddy's there, no heat in it. It did have lights. I go down there, work at Daddy's shop, go home, eat, come back, drag the welding lines out of Daddy's shop through the back door of that shop, and sit there and weld at midnight every night. That that brace that Ralph wanted me to put on the car, and it finally got too much for me. And I finally had to give in because Daddy, yeah, I needed to be in that shop of his because all the equipment was in there and everything, right. and so. I made him a promise I wouldn't do it. So you wouldn't drive. I wouldn't drive. So you built the car. I built the car. Yeah. And uh, tell me, um, I'd never seen Ralph or heard Ralph talk ever. He died in '73. I was born in '74. Mm -hmm. I never heard his voice. No sound of his voice. Never heard the cadence in his speech. Didn't know, you know how. I didn't know if he sounded like Daddy. Sounded different, deeper. A little I didn't deeper, know. I would say, a little bit. But there was a race that he ran in Charlotte, and uh, Leroy Yarborough won, and they threw Leroy out for Got wheel, his wheels. Yeah, mm -hmm. his wheels were too wide. Yeah. And so um, they interviewed, Chris Economaki interviewed Ralph, and that's the only audio of Ralph talking that I know that exists. And uh, so I can hear him in that short little interview talk about them giving him the win. And uh, But help me understand, like, you know, what it might have been like to be in the room with him. Well, I'd say he's a little intimidating guy because of who he was. And was he really tall? No, he's probably about about my height, yeah. I'd say. Um, 
uh, had, a, had a scar on his face. And um, So one day around 1996 or so, I'm at the farm shop, at the deer head shop, and Dad says, come here in the office. And there's another guy with us. I don't know who it was, a guy who had the tape, brought this tape to Daddy. Daddy had this tiny little TV with the tape machine in the bottom of the TV. is all in one. He's like, let's watch this tape. He sticks that tape in there, and the race is playing. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And he's like, yeah, this is Ralph at, in, uh, in a modified sportsman race at Charlotte in the in 50s. I'm like, dang. And, it, and we're watching it, right? And I didn't know the interview's coming, right? I'm just watching this race going, man, it's pretty neat. Dad's watching it. And so they the race is over. They go, I mean, pretty shortly, pretty quickly, they're like, hey, leader's been thrown out. He had a big wheel. So uh, Leroy put a bigger wheel on his car, and the bigger wheel made the tire contact patch wider or whatever reason. For whatever reason, they threw him out. So they go interview. They're like, Chris Economac is down there with Ralph Earnhardt. Get his Ralph Earnhardt opinion about this. And me and Daddy are like, perked right up. But Daddy knew the interview was in this. I didn't. And I'm watching, I'm listening to Ralph for the first time in my life. Mm. Mike's heard this story a dozen times. And I couldn't believe I was actually able, I mean, I couldn't believe I was hearing his voice. I never had heard his voice, ever. I couldn't believe it. And then I looked at Dad, and I'm watching Dad hear his voice for the first time in 20 years. And the look on his face, I'll never forget it. Yeah. yeah. That was a hell of a, th- that was a hell of a thing. There's a, the article I give Mike there, one of them is a poem that this guy wrote about Ralph. It's pretty good. And then is there's it? a picture in there where Ralph directed a car at Darlington. It's in there too, I think. It's in that Man. one there. This is cool. You want me to read the poem? I'll read it. You got it? It says, he is the king of an outlaw band with the fastest car in the land, a man with a bounty on his head. There ain't been a race he ain't led. He's been the winner of the weekly races, Concord, Charlotte, and other places. And if his car is running right, he will chalk up another win tonight. So here's a promise from the popcorn man. Outrun Ralph Earnhardt if you can. And if you can, the night you do, I will gladly write a poem for you. <laughs> <laughs> that same guy. Penny they Brown. Get him on the, yeah, they get him on the speaker and you know, before the race started, and he'd say, all right, here they come. They all lined up like grandma's onions. <laughs> funny. I want to tell you a story, but <laughs> do that the next time you do a play-by-play. Play. They're all lined up like grandma's <laughs> onions. Yeah. All next time he does an NBC play-by-play, that right there would be a rating. Do you get a? Do you get a visual? When I hear There's say, a picture in there with Ralph walking away from that wrecked car. I think it's yeah, in I'm that like, one. I'm trying to find it. You you've done messed up. You gave Dale an old magazine oh, or old boy. program. Now yeah, he's going to sit there and read through yeah, it. He can keep it if he wants to. <laughs> you know, you're creating this relationship with Ralph. And what's Dad doing? Like when you're over there at the Martha's and hanging out with Ralph, what's, what are you seeing out of Dad as a young man? Well, I mean, he, he was like me. He's in the shop all the time if he could. You know, yeah. I mean, he just. Uh, when he's in the shop, you're going over there. Are you a young teenager? When you first started going over there, like when you was wanting to build that car? Well, I had enough guts to come up there one night, and and, and uh, <laughs> me and Kathy went on a date. Yeah. Uh-oh. Oh. Now we're talking. <laughs> it was one one day. It was intimidating to go in and <laughs> and pick up uh, 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 Ralph Earnhardt's daughter. <laughs> no kidding. 
No, we, we just went and had How old were you? Uh, seven, Rough, 17. All right, so. Is this how you met him? No, no. Okay, so you right. did already know. I so know him, yeah. I guess what I'm asking you is, is like, so when you're when you're in your teens, right, and and you you're hanging around there, what's dad doing? What's he like as a teenager? Well, I can't say that when we really got to know each other, he was a teenager. I mean, he was probably he was younger, seventeen, eighteen years old, something like that. Right. Yeah, he was he was a year or two younger than me. Earnhardt's are always been like this. I, uh, Ralph was like it. Dale was like it, but. Like at uh, Dale at DEI, sometimes I go up there and and go to see him, and he wouldn't even speak to me. <laughs> Next time I go up there, he won't let me go. Yeah, he's uh, he wants me. He w- took me a ride on the helicopter. After he said we're gonna go to uh, Richard Childers on the helicopter, and I, he said I want you to go with me. I said, Are you gonna fly it? And he said, No, I got a pilot for that. I said, Good, <laughs> I'm good. <man."> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, and and, and Ralph was kind of like that. You know, he, most of the time he's friendly as he can be, and sometimes you know, I, I guess he had something else on his mind. Yeah, that's pretty but, interesting. Uh, so, you know, Dad didn't finish high school. Yeah, quit eighth grade. I think he was sixteen when he quit. So, do you was that? Did you ever think about that? Like, do you finish school? Yeah, barely, right? barely. <laughs> right. Well, we all we all barely. Finished, yeah, barely. Right? Yeah. Um. So I mean, that was kind of a. I guess. I wonder how big a deal that was that dad dropped out. And I know Ralph didn't want him to. Ralph told him that, you know, he wanted him to finish school and wished he had not. And dad said years later how disappointed he, you know, his Ralph was in him. Yeah. And he hated that he he wished he could go back and change that. Um, and you come in and into their, you know, y'all's lives cross paths right as, you know, right maybe a year or two after dad had quit school. And so dad was home all the time. As a guy, I mean, when you think about a 16-year-old quitting school, sounds like to me he's on the wrong track, mm-hmm. he's on the wrong path as a person, right? Mm-hmm. Um, was he on the wrong path? Was he, was, he in getting him, was he in trouble? Was he frustrating Ralph? Or was he, when he quit school, he was at that shop trying to bug Ralph under his nose, wanting to work on cars, Trying to figure out how to get to the racetrack, what was what was going on in Dad's life? Well, you know, back in that time period and earlier, it wasn't as big a deal it would be now if somebody quit school. Okay, but him quitting school, he's one of the smartest men I ever known. I mean, you talking about handling money and sure. doing things on the race car, and he could he could fix anything. Uh, you know, and he learned it like I did. I we never did go either one of us in a formal school for auto mechanics. I learned mine from my daddy. He learned his from his daddy, mm-hmm. and that's just the way it was back in that day. And you know, it, there's not much difference in quitting with a year to go and barely getting through. I mean, yeah. you, <laughs> that's the way I was. I just barely got through. So um, you wanted to take. So you at, you mentioned you took Kathy out. What uh, Kathy's my. My uh, aunt, my dad's sister. Mm-hmm. Um, you, ha- how did you ask her out? I think I got the number from somebody and just called a house and asked her. And she knew she knew me for a little bit. And, okay. And she was dating David Oliver, but they'd gotten a fight or something, quit dating a while. And <laughs> so uh, I just asked her out. I didn't think who she would David, who she would eventually marry. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So y'all go out. Yeah. And you went to eat, and that was that. Yeah, we went and got a hamburger. And, and where'd you eat? The Whataburger. Probably, I think the water burger. Yeah. 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 yeah like so that. how did how did the date go? 
It went good. Well, I mean, we had a good time talking and everything. Did you go on a second date? No. All right. She went back with David Alder and dropped me. There you go. All right. You just scooped in on that one bad fight, <laughs> yeah. took yeah. her out, and yeah. then she went right yeah. back, huh? So <laughs> you're in your early teens and early 20s, and you build midgets, and you're racing, right? Or you got guys racing cars and stuff. Who are some of the drivers that are driving your car before Dad ever climbed in your car? Who are these guys? Uh, Tony Thurl. Oh. Y'all did a thing on him. We did. Yeah. He was in our Lost, Lost Speedway. Speedway. Yeah, he sure He was. drove your car. Yeah. Oh, but damn. That's yeah. cool. Tony was a great – he was a great driver. Now, he's not one to tear – I mean, he didn't tear up anything. He's not going to knock somebody out of the way or anything like that. I like those kind of drivers. Yeah, well, he he, he was They're a good – They're good if you're the good, owner. He was a good driver. <laughs> but yeah. Dale and I had gotten – so close. I mean, he was down at my daddy's shop a lot, and we helped each other a lot and talked a lot. And um, the first race, Dale had built a car, and it was um, James Miller's car. Okay. This is picture of it right here. Yep. That's Old yellow. Yep. yep. The Falcon, right? Is well. That, what is that? Yeah, it's a Ford Falcon. Yep. Well, Dad built this. He bit that himself. My dad built this car he by built himself. That car. Where yes, at? Sir. I think a lot of it was at Ralph's shop. Okay. So when we started talking about we were going to go together, mm-hmm. and um, it's a good looking car. Dale said he said Tommy, I want to drive for you, but I don't want to leave that car. What do you mean leave it? Well, it belonged to James Miller. Okay. Ralph uh, Dale just built it. Okay. Yeah, but the car belonged to James Miller. Well. I said, Dale, I said, let's go talk to Ralph. And we talked to my daddy. And Ralph said, well, I, I want you boys to go together. He said, I think y'all make a good team. He said, let me talk to James Miller. So Ralph talked to James Miller. They come up with a price, and Ralph bought the car. And so um, I wrote a check to Ralph for that car. I think you see Martha's name on the back of it too, but that's what I paid for that race car is a thousand dollars. Man, she co-signed it. On the oh back. yeah, I see it's on the back. <laughs> yeah, it's on the back. Ralph and Martha. Nineteen seventy-two. Yep. Wow. So we brought the car from Ralph's down to my shop, and some of our friends of mine, we all we got on that thing and sanded it down, and we painted it my colors, white with a black top. 87 on it. That was my numbers. Yeah. You and, know uh, what car that is, Mike? Remember the picture of Ralph and Dad on the track at the same time? Oh, yeah, uh-huh. that's, that's right. That's that car. That's right. I don't know, man. Looking at the looking, look at the last name Earnhardt on both those signatures. I think Martha, Martha might have signed for Ralph. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a good point. They're very similar, aren't mm-hmm. they? Yeah, I've got a picture here somewhere of the two cars together, Ralph and them. I know what picture you're talking about on the back straightaway yeah. Metrolina. Yeah. Yep. So the car that Miller owned and Dad built, you bought. You gave Miller. So Miller gets his grand. Mm-hmm. Now you get the car. You paint it. Now you and Daddy are a team. Yeah. You're the owner. Dad's a driver. Well, first thing I did with the car. Now the car I had had a fuel cell in it. Probably only you had another car. Yeah, I had the car that Tony Thorell been driving. All right. What's what happened to it? You sell it? Yeah. Years later, we sold it. Oh, so you hung on to it? Yeah, Dale drove it. See, we we what I wanted. What I happened wanted, to Tony? What did Tony say? Well, you talked. You talked to Tony. He didn't tell yeah. us. Getting he got dumped, bumped, well, bumped out of the way by the Big E. Well, I mean, 
I, I just called him and told him I, uh, one one reason why Tony had run a shop in, up in Kannapolis. Still does, yeah. Yeah, and uh, a great guy. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Oh, yeah. I, I thought the world of him. But Dale and I have gotten so close. He knew. Yeah, he knew. I told him, I said, we've gotten so close. We want to be together. And uh, I said, you know, so I'll let him go. Yeah. And um, so, uh, and they were having some trouble at the racetrack, you know, of beating and banging and everything. At Metrolina? Metrolina and Concord. And Concord. Uh, We rolled into Metrolina that Friday night with that car painted up Dale's name on it. And uh, a lot of the other guys said they wanted to meet with a promoter. Why? Well, this stop all the wrecking, they said. Okay. They, you know, they've been beating on us pretty bad. But when they seen Dale's name on that car, and they said, well, Tommy, what do you think? I said, I think hell's coming to you. Mm. We're coming for you now. Mm. <laughs> so, and we did. Yeah. Uh, but um, <laughs> that car there, first race of the season, okay, dusty. Is it Concord? They run it in the afternoon because it's cold, and they run it on Sunday afternoon. Tony had led the whole race. Dale was running about fifth or sixth. Yeah, like normal racing, about three laps ago, they had a caution flag. So I go out on track. They let you when they bring the cars around on dirt and stop and clean the windshield and stuff like that. And I told Tony, I said Pat Garrison was going to be starting right behind him. He was he was rough. <laughs> and I said, Tony, you're going to have to get through one and two good. And if you get on that back stretch, you'll pull away from him and get away from him. Three laps to go. Well, it didn't happen that way. They come off of two, and Garrison got in the back of him and turned him around. Well, he was doing this on the back stretch, you know, turning around two or three times. A dust flying everywhere. Everybody was throwing on brakes, and I seen that yellow car coming. Dad. Wide open. <laughs> he got out front, and they never threw the caution because Tony spun around and kept going, and, and your daddy won that first race after running fifth or sixth. Yeah. That was his first win. That was his very first win on dirt. You were yeah. there in that uh, yellow car. Yeah. yeah, he was in that yellow car. It wasn't mine at the time. Right. But I told my village. daddy, I said, that's who we need in a race car. Nice. And Dale and I had already become good friends, so we, we kept talking and, and got that taken care of. But uh, we, we we took the girls out, my wife, his wife, Brenda. And uh, sometimes we'd take them out to eat a steak. We took them to a concert one night. What we, concert? Conway Twitty. Oh, boy. Uh, yes. uh, here's a kicker, though, Dale. In, like, the early 70s. Have you Conway ever, Twitty Birds. Have you ever seen the movie Deliverance? Yeah. We took them to see that. Oh, boy. Ooh. And your mama had a fit. I bet. She was crying. She said, what was happening, me and Dale had planned on the next morning getting up and go to Santee Cooper. We was going to go fishing a couple of days. My uncle had a little trailer down there we was going to stay in. And she'd say, please, Dale, don't you and Tommy go down there. I'm afraid the same thing's going to happen to you. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Brenda, it ain't going to be like that. But she was, she was upset about that. But we, you know, we went and we got down there and uh, Dale said, what's that float over there doing? I said, people's got a, uh, a thing down there to catch catfish in, like a metal net thing. He said, pull over, I won't pull it up. I said, Dale, these people down here shoot you, Mr. Oh, that'd be all right. He pulled that thing up, and it's full of catfish. He dumped them in the boat, and I said, man, you're going to get both of them. Good grief. <laughs> Brenda's thing was going to come true. You oh, know? no, right. But nobody ever seen it. So. That's what I mean, a little troublemaker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he had a streak in him, so, it sounds like. Yeah. Uncle Robert G., my mom's brother, and Jimmy, 
uh, had both worked here at a time. But when we sit down and talk to Uncle Robert, Uncle Robert says, Dale Earnhardt hung the moon. Everywhere Dale Earnhardt went, the sun was shining. Everything Dale Earnhardt did was amazing and great. When you hear Uncle Jimmy, who was at the same racetrack, right with both of them, I'll, when you sit down with Uncle Jimmy and say, well, you tell us about Dale Earnhardt, and he says, well, you know, in the middle of the night, he was sneaking into the junkyard stealing parts. You know what I mean? <laughs> I never tell, heard that. He'll no. tell you a whole different story, yeah. right? A different side of Dad, right? And some people look at Dad and 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 think, man, the greatest, you know, the the best that did everything he touched, you know. Mm. And then some people are more like, you know, he was a human being, flawed, imperfect, uh, still amazing, right? Still great, but uh, he was raw. Right, he was a, he was raw and 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 imperfect. That's pretty interesting. Imagining him doing ordinary things, right? Back before he was a celebrity to anyone, taking his wife to dinner with his buddy, right, and or going fishing and doing something silly, right. Mm-hmm. Those are the stories that I know. All the things he did in a race car, I you know, in the eighties and nineties, I lived a lot of it, but I don't know who he was. In the seventies, before I was born, or or after I was born, so that's some pretty amazing insight. Well, um, if it hadn't been for the Widenhouses, Dink Widenhouse and his brothers, I'm probably the only person in the living that built a race car and had no money, none. Who? Me. You. Me. Because the Widenhouses uh, welding out there on the highway, they let me, they give me the bars, they put the roll bars in it in the middle to plate the flame, and they were a big help to me and. See, down at my daddy's shop, it's kind of probably like Ralph's shop, a lot of people coming in, race car drivers. Dink Widenhouse drove for daddy. Uh, Bank Simpson drove for daddy. And um, daddy and Bank Simpson, they, they run the, the dirt course down at Daytona, wow. down, the, down the beach. Oh, I got wow. a picture of that in here too. But the Widenhouse has played a big part in Dale's life and mine. And sometime we need to get with Dink, talk to him, and we need to go over to his shop across the road from Metrolina. Dink's got a plane parked there. Dink and Ralph flew to a lot of races together on that and plane. That plane yeah. And somebody asked Dink one time, and said, well, how do you plot your way down there? And he said, we just followed the highway down Myrtle <laughs> Beach or Columbia or somewhere. Yeah. And one night we were over there at the Metrolina, Dale, me and was over there with the car, and Dink come up, and he said, come on, Dale, I'm going to take you a ride in the plane. So my heart started beating. I said, don't get my driver hurt tonight on race night. They went up in the airplane and come back down and everything. But, and see, the wonderful thing about this time period we were in, there's a, a, a little restaurant up in Brown Mill. It's up above my daddy's shop up there. And the guy was uh, love racing. So here's what he said. Went on Friday night, eat free the next week. It's lunchtime. Went on Saturday night, eat free. So a lot of times we'd win Friday and Saturday night, so that means they'll eat free, I eat free. Mm. And I don't know how many free meals we got, my brother, but we won a lot of races. <laughs> we won 65 races together. Years down the road, Dale and I'd walk up and he'd be talking to somebody. He said, Tommy, tell me how many races we won together. I said, 65. It's always 65. I got a little quiz for you, okay? Which Earnhardt, by the number of races they started and the number of wins, which Earnhardt do you think that was? Which one had the most wins? According to the starts. I don't know. Matthew uh, asked that question. He knew it right off. I mean, between Dad and Ralph? No. 
Earnhardt. I don't know. Oh, you're talking about Annie Earnhardt. Yeah. Annie Earnhardt. You're talking about winning percentage in, in terms of how many starts they had. Kathy. Yeah. Kathy. Yeah, well, they had a powder, powder puff puff race. races, yeah. And Dale said, well, what do you think about Kathy driving? And I said, well, it's my car, but it's your ride. You pick it. And she she got out there, and I'm watching her on the stopwatch. She's running faster than men were. She just was born at a different time period. She'd probably been a Grand National driver right now. <laughs> she could put it on, but I've got the newspaper clipping, and one of those things I'm going to give you, Randy, it's in there. At that time, she'd won, uh, run six times and won six times. Dang. I got embarrassed up there one time. I was running the micro midges, and uh, Daddy said uh, he had something he wanted to send up there to Ralph. He said, how about we're going up to Salisbury up there to run that dirt track, the midges. And I had one in the back of my truck I had, and I built a little trailer to pull another on. My friend had one, so we went together like that. And the tongue was real short, and they're hard to back. So I pulled in there, you know, at, up at Martha's house and pulled down in there and uh, brought, took that stuff into Ralph and everything. He's appreciated that. Couldn't back the damn thing up. Every time I'd move backwards, it'd go to the side. Right. You know? So I had to go back inside and get Ralph, my hero, to come get me out of trouble, so he did. He got yeah. me out of there. But, <laughs> uh, I don't know, Ralph, I always wanted to help Ralph because he did so much for me coming up with telling me what to do and everything like that. And Dale was driving for me then. So we were at Metrolina Racetrack one one Friday night, and Ralph come over there and he said that uh, he felt uh, we all run quick changes, and they had cover for the back and two big bearings in there, and that's what you took off to change the gears. And he felt it getting tight. And he said he walked all the way down through the pits. He knew a lot of guys had extra rear end covers. And they wouldn't let him borrow them. Because if they, they figured they had a better chance of winning if Ralph didn't run. Right. So Ralph come over and asked me if I had one. I said, no. I said, let me think a minute. I said, I got it. Dale and I, our race was first. 25, 30 laps. And then Ralph and them run the second race. I said, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pull the trailer out into the pits there. I'm going to go ahead and hook it to the truck. Dale didn't know this was going on. He was already in the car and out on the racetrack getting ready to start. And I said, as soon as the race is over, I'm going to have Dale drive up on the trailer. Me and Randy's going to get under the car, take that cover off. We're going to run over there and put it on your car, fill it up with grease, and you're ready to go. He said, that'll work. Well, we did that. Of course, Dale, when he come in, he didn't know why I was making him drive up on the trailer. I said, I ain't got time to tell you. But when that race was over, the fans come out of the grandstands. You couldn't breathe around our two cars because they couldn't figure out what in the world they took off a semi-modified car and put it on a Ralph Sportsman car. We both won races. Mm -hmm. And they were talking, they must have some kind of new gadget or something they didn't have a one on. They had to switch it on. <laughs> it was just a simple. <laughs> Rear end cover, but yeah. that that made me feel better to finally help Ralph mm. with something. Pretty incredible. These are going to sound like dumb questions, but, you know, what we know of Ralph seems to be, we know he was, you know, relatively quiet. He was hardworking. All we really know is the context through racing. Um, do you have any insights? Like, he asked about what he sounded like. Did, I'm curious, did he have a sense of humor? Did you guys ever have conversations that weren't about racing? And if so, what? Like, what... What was Ralph like when he wasn't completely zoned in on race cars? Well, Ralph, you know, was doing this for a living. He was zoned in 
all the time. I mean, he, and he, I was up there one day and he was building an engine for another competitor and he said, Tommy, I, I, I'm putting better stuff in this engine than I use myself. He said, I'm really making something they, gonna, they could outrun me with. But of course, you know, being him a better driver too, and he took some drivers. You ever heard of Haywood Plow? Oh, yeah. Ralph took him under his wings. And Haywood come back later. <laughs> I, I, I can tell you this little story about Haywood. You want me to tell you about sure, him? Sure, yeah, yeah. Well, the Chevrolet Nova I built, and you, your daddy had one too. We were going to run Charlotte Motor Speedway, the Saturday race. Well, the week before, they kind of had an open house and let you run your car a little bit if you wanted to. Well, the guy I had driving, I'm not going to mention his name, but. He just didn't go for super speedway racing. So I told Dale, I said, what am I going to do? Who do you, you think I'm going to put in the car? He said, yeah, I'll put Haywood in there. I said, Haywood ain't never been on an asphalt track or nothing. It's surely not a super speedway. He said, oh, he'll, he'll adjust to it. And Haywood had won this race at Concord Dirt, and it, and it went over to that Saturday race. If He won that race, so if we were uh, qualified within 15 miles an hour of the pole setter, we'd be in the race. Mm-hmm. So we went over there and Haywood got him buckled in everything, went out and practice. Well, you know, when you go out on the super speedway, you got to blend in. He just went out and went right up on the racetrack. And then NASCAR black flagged him. I was on the one side of the window there listening. They'd eat him out. He was like this, you know. He, it didn't bother him a bit. He didn't care. But we run that race, and your daddy had some problems that day with his car. He broke a coil spring. I've never seen that happen before, but they had to change the coil spring, so they lost two or three laps. But old Haywood, he he come in one time for a pit stop, and he said, "Tommy, this thing is pushing and bad." And I said, "Yeah, I know the right front tire is about flat." So we, we and he finished thirteenth. That's good. I, we won some money and felt good about it. And, yeah, I uh, got all that done. I, I kind of laughed. They took our fuel cells; we had to take it apart. And put them back together, and they fill up with gas. Well, mine held a half a gallon, a gallon too much. And they give you a board. They, they'd wrap with rags, and you put it on top of the fuel cell to reduce the amount of gas could be in there. Well, Daryl Walter was parked in the garage area. It took about three weeks to run that race, but it kept raining. And um, so we were over there. We were in the main garage area then because the cup cars had already raced their race. And Daryl was right beside of us there, and he, he come down through the piss. I was sitting on the trunk of the car there in the garage area, and uh, him and two of his mechanics come down there, and they raised the trunk up and started taking the fuel cell apart. And they got in there, and they took that board out and threw it in the trash can. They were in a NASCAR official down the way there a little bit. And I said, well, I wonder what they're going to do, because they run a cable through there, them bolts with holes in them, and it had a stamp. They had the cable and the stamps, <laughs> but nobody said anything about it. And I didn't say anything. Well, what difference it make? You know, what yeah. I mean, a little bit of gas ain't gonna make no difference. But we we had a good good time over there. We lost a race over there. Your daddy led it and led it and led it. But the problem was, and your daddy was. I know they call him intimidating and all, but if you if he believed in you, he ain't gonna back out on you. And what had happened? When we were running Hickory and asphalt track. We was all running Firestone tires. So we got over to Super Speedway, and this is Dale's Nova. Uh, Dale, most of all the guys were going to Goodyear tires. Well, nuts your daddy. He said, no, we're going to run the Firestone tires. It's his car. Be loyal to them. But the problem was the Firestone tires were flying, but they wouldn't last as long as a Goodyear, so we had to make extra pit stop. But he led a lot of that race at Charlotte. Yeah. 
and we messed him up again at Martinville, Virginia, and then when he had the modifies and the, and the and sportsman. sportsman. Yep. Well, he did he led and led the sportsman. We made our pit stop and everything, and with like two laps to go, he had a, about a half a straightaway lead and run out of gas. I wasn't educated enough, and I don't think nobody on the crew was. You know, probably know all them guys. We didn't know how to figure gas mileage. But Dale told me later, once he got back home and checked, that he, he thinks we had enough gas, but the pickup didn't pick it up yeah. you know, in the fuel cell. But he, he should have won car, that race, too. That car was the car that won best appearing that day. Yeah, yeah, yeah gas, sure won, did. Yeah, sure Robert did. T did the body on yeah. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, TEND is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Later on, after, after uh, when, when Ralph died. Yeah. That was a hard time for both of us. I mean, Ralph had had a heart attack, and he got sticky out to drive the car for him. And hold up, uh, Ralph had had a heart attack before the, before the, his mm-hmm. death. I'd yeah. never heard that. Yeah, he had had a heart attack, and um, he got sticky out to drive. And see, when something. when did he have his first heart attack? Had his well, first he died heart in seventy three. I know it was early in yeah. seventy three. So he had yeah. a heart attack right before the fatal heart attack. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. But, you know, he got stick to drive the car. It's amazing, incredible, really, to learn about him having that a heart attack before he eventually passed. So how? what would the physical effects of that first heart attack to Ralph if he's letting Stick drive the car? Yeah, he, he, he didn't drive anymore after that first ever. heart attack, no. What was, the, what was going on? Was, was, Ralph, was Ralph physically impaired in any way from the first heart attack? I don't think so because he, you know, he, he still worked no, on the race car. He seemed normal, still working, still out there doing work. Yeah, and uh, see, on Saturday night, we'd run the race at Concord, and we'd all go to Martha's. I mean, me and uh, after the race, our wives after after the race is over, we go to Martha's. Anything you could make a sandwich out of, she had on the on the kitchen yeah. table in there. And of course, we sit down there and we we rerun the race. If we did something wrong, Ralph would tell us about yeah. it. You know, so. Till till we, wait, till wee hours of the morning. Yeah, I don't know how you stay as long as you wanted right. to. Yeah, and we were running Firestone uh, rain tires on dirt. They you know they cost a lot more money than a recap tire at Tile City up here. So everybody complained, you know, and they took a boat on it, and we had to go back to the recap tire. We got off. We started messing with the car and trying different things. And Ralph got on us one night. He's he's talking to Bobo. He said, "You boys." Go back to where that car was set up from the beginning and learn how to drive it. And we got back to winning again. Yeah. But, uh, and see, I, our deal was I didn't have no money. So what the race car won. Paid for the next thing. Paid for yeah. the stage. And, and your daddy. Um, he didn't have no money. Well, he he made his money driving the race car. <laughs> he won, he got 40%. Yeah. But he still was broke. Um, well, we was all broke in yeah. that time period. <laughs> so broke they didn't know they were broke, yeah. I guess. Yeah. So getting back to, to Ralph in 1973, what was what do you what did you notice in Dad 
and when Ralph was going through this issue, these health problems, and eventually when Ralph passed away, you're like, what did you? What yeah, was, daddy was having a hard time with it. What? Well, tell tell me about that. Well, I mean, when you're like Ralph was his idol, mm-hmm. and uh, taught him everything he knew, and then all of a sudden that man's gone or sick, hurting. It's hard on you. I don't care how old you are, or whatever. You know, I'm sure when your dad passed, it hurts you bad too. And that's the way Dale was. You know, it, it hurt us all because he was such a good guy, a friend to us. I don't know. It was, it was a hard time for you, yeah, uh, for for Dale when Ralph passed away. So, four days before Ralph passed away, Dad won a semi mod race in your car. Probably. Um, yeah. Two days after Ralph passed, Dad raced that Falcon. In uh, in a sports raced a Falcon in the sportsman division at Metrolina. Okay, so, let me tell you about that. We had made up our minds for the next year we were going to move up. Okay, we had already bought a Camaro body. That's what Ralph was running at the time of Camaro, and we were going to uh, build a sportsman, sportsman car, V eight engine, all that. So I told Dale, I said, what I'd like to do. We're going to build a new car, but we don't have time to build two new cars. I always like to have two cars. But I said, I want to take this semi-modified car and, and it run the six-cylinder engine, but they had a 300. But a lot of people couldn't keep them together, and it was illegal to run them in, in our division. We had never tried that. So Daddy built one, 300, and we went to Metroline to run against the late model sportsman, see what we could do with them. God, Dale was running up there with them, and it blew all the pieces. <laughs> it it blew up, and uh, and then you know uh, uh, we never did build a sportsman car together. So I guess I'm wondering the I'm wondering like how that what were the conversations like that you know Dad Ralph passes away and and the you know Dad's probably Dad's whole world's turned upside down, but then. Did you ever say to Dad, like, um, should we not, you know, should we take a couple weeks off here? Or We talked about it, and he said he didn't think his dad would want us to do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, we we could quit for the rest of the season if we if he wanted to, but yeah. he, he didn't. He thought, you know, his dad would want him to continue on, you know. So What happened to all the stuff that was in Ralph's shop? When Ralph passed away, literally, Ralph's, not there anymore. He's gone. Everything in that shop out there is just as he left it. Just the last time he walked out of the door. Yeah. Right. And dad, did dad just go right in there and just start, start going to work and start? Did what happened to Ralph's cars? What did dad do with them? Where did they go? Did dad race them? Well, here's what we had. We both of us had talked about, and Ralph told us. He said, "Boys, the only way y'all gonna." do anything and make any money and and get a future in this sport, you need to start running asphalt. Really? Yeah. So that's funny you say that because Dad, I thought Dad mentioned that Ralph wasn't a big fan of Dad running asphalt. He thought he wanted Dad to run dirt. But maybe. But I've heard this a couple times now in the last couple of years since we've been doing Lost Speedways and talking to all these guys, that Ralph actually steered Dad to asphalt or said if, you know, you're really going to, get anywhere you're going to go further that's the only way to do it or our goal was winston cup racing really even then well george mantooth see who was he d- george mantooth he was a race car driver years ago 
he drove for my daddy some. They won some races together. But back in when they were racing, Bruton Smith was promoting a lot of races around here on dirt. Yeah. And they got to know him there. And I know we'd go to Bruton Smith's out there on South Union Street and pick up a check for the weekend racing. So George, somehow or another, got me an appointment with Bruton Smith over at his, one of his dealerships in Charlotte. So I went over there. I, I was a little bit intimidated, you know. I went over there, and I, I told him about what Dale and I had been doing. He said, yeah, I've, I've, I've seen the papers, you know. Y'all doing good. I said, well, we would like to go sports from racing and run for the championship. And he thought about it a little bit, and he said, I'll tell you what, Tommy. He said, I can't – I don't want to deal with the sportsman division. He said, now, if you and Dale want to run Winston Cup, I could help you. And I said, I just can't do it right now. I don't have the facilities to do it. You know, you, if you're going to do that, you got to have a bigger shop, blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. So we just left it at that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Ralph, I, I, I'm thinking he was encouraging us to go to asphalt. And uh-huh. about that time, uh, Ned Jarrett took over Metrolina and it paved, paved it. it. That kind of, you know, messed us up a little bit. And I started um, when Dale decided that he needed to go and run his daddy's cars. So when Ralph passed away, Dad just uh, Dad just assumed all that property. Yeah. Well, he 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 told me he said I want to try to win some money to help my, my mother out too. Yeah. yeah. So um, he called me one day. He said, "Tommy, get your butt up here." I said. What for? I said, I got something to show you. I said, what is it? I "I ain't telling you, get your butt up here. So I took off off to Kannapolis, and I walked in the door, and I thought, my God, it's going to finally happen. There sit Harry Gantz, 64 Chevelle. Mm -hmm. And what had happened is Danny Mates Food, I don't know if you've ever, they sponsored us and sponsored Dale. It was Dale's sponsor, so when he left, I I didn't have it anymore. But that's just the way it's supposed to be. So... They had that car. They they bought that car, and they formed a corporation. It was Randy, Danny, Dale, and Great London. Yep. Okay. Earnhardt Racing. Yep. That's that. That was the deal. So he had his option. He could run the dirt car that Ralph had, or he could run the asphalt car. That's the picture of the car right there. So you can keep that. That's so. Dad sold Ralph's dirt stuff. No, he still runs some. He so he has his he has Russell Camaro, and he's got this little asphalt right. car. He's so he's doing a little bit of yeah. both. Is around. Well, Lake we got in it one night at Concord. He he went to Hickory to run. It rained the race out. He come back to the garage, unloaded that car, put the dirt car on there, and come to dirt. Well, that's we were both running Sportsman then, and a guy named uh, David Perry was driving for it. He was out of South Carolina, and and Dale got into us and wrecked us. <laughs> and so I, I didn't I didn't get mad a little bit of mad <laughs> but I told Dale after Ray we, we pulled out there in the infield there both cars on the trailer I said Dale we cannot do this we cannot wreck each other we cannot come pay you back because we need to finish races we both need to make money you know if you're dead last you don't get no money because if you wreck I said it's all right if you come up behind us and bump us and move us over and pass us, but we're not going to start this wrecking each other. He said, I agree with you. And I said, guess what? Oh, sh-t. you going to help me fix this car next week. And he did. Yeah. <laughs> he did. But, I don't know, we remained friends forever. You know I mean? Um, 
this is this is kind of a funny story too. There's a couple of them I want to tell you, but these guys that come with me today, I call them my bodyguards. But uh, um, they were over, they come in my daddy's shop one Saturday morning, and I'd run my the car down in Monroe at that dirt track. I hadn't gone to asphalt yet. I'm working on it, but I hadn't gone there yet. And uh, they said, did you hear what happened to Dale last night at Metroline? I said, no, did he get hurt? And they said, no, he blew his engine. And he said, there's a national championship race at Hickory tonight, and he ain't going to have no engine. I said, he'll be down here in a little bit. Don't worry about it. So sure enough, here he come pulling down in his truck. And anything we and him wanted to do, we'd like to do it. Nobody around, and we're going to talk. So he said, Tommy, how about taking a ride with me? I said, okay. He said, did you hear what happened last night? I said, yeah. He said, could I borrow old Smokey? I said, yeah, yeah. What's that? I had two engines. The good engine was in the race car, but we had a backup engine, we call it. You know, it was, Daddy put it together. It's a good engine. But reading we call it old Smokey, once in a while when you left the gas, it smoked a little bit, not bad. So I said, back in the truck and let's load the thing up. So we loaded up. He goes to Hickory. I go up there. I want to see my motor run. He sits on the pole. He leaves the most laps until right there at the very end, and Glenn Jerry got by him and won the race, and Dale ran second. Well, he come down in the pitch, you know, and I walk up to the window, and I said, well, you, you had a good night. You sat on the pole. You come in second. You won yourself some money. He said, God damn it, Tommy. If your damn motor had any power, I'd have won the race. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of people got mad. I just bust out laughing. I knew he was going to say it. Yeah. He gave me that look. You, you've seen that look he had. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, we, we just laughed about it and went on. I don't know how long we – I don't know if I ever got the motor back. I probably did. But uh, we just – even after he left me, I mean, I understood why he left. We, we just stayed best friends. So. I know that because uh, there's a picture of Dad at the uh, Daytona. First time he ever went to Daytona, he took his sportsman car up there. I was tired. You're in the yeah. You're in the pits. Mm -hmm. So I want to know about that weekend. So did you go with Dad or all for the entire trip, or would you just come in for race day? What What was the story there? When, I think I went down on Thursday. I think the race is Saturday. Yeah. So you was down there. Where were y'all staying? <sighs> you remember where you, you piled into a hotel room? Three? Yeah, we had some hotel rooms. Was you all right? I think them guys out there with me that went down there with me too. Really. Yeah, I got a story about some crickets. Remind me about that. But I will. So anyway, he, I, I ain't saying Dale got his butt chewed out, but Bobby Allison had words with him. When? Well, when they're out there practicing, you know, Bobby's going to run it. At Daytona. At Daytona. All right. He said, you know, Dale would turn, go to the outside down, and then dive down to the bottom. And he said, Dale, you, you get in my car loose, and if I spin out, I may take you with me. So, you know, you got to be careful when you make those kind of moves on this super speedway. Yeah. Nothing bad, you know, he just helping him along, you know. But, uh, yeah, he, he run good down there. He, he looked like his eyes were this big when he come in after yeah. practicing. I mean, that was just I bet. never been on a never super been speedway before. before. But he, he fell right in there with it, you know I mean? So that car, uh, to the, the race finish, I think he ran 13th. They some water got into the fuel, and the car was funky, running funny at the end, and he lost a lap or something. But uh, – Running the top ten the whole race. Running yeah, I think me and Norman agree with the tire changers. <laughs> I lost a lot of sleep a month before going down there because I would work at my daddy's shop until six. I get off, I go by the Waterburger, get me and Dale a Waterburger, and we'd work at midnight on that particular car. Yeah, getting it ready to go to Daytona. He made me. He said, "I want you to wire it." He said, "I know you'll do a good job." 
and we had to we'd never run an alternator before we had to put an alternator on there for the 250 miles so we had to wire that up and do a lot of different things but your daddy could build a race car i mean he could build an engine he'd have built an engine when he borrowed mommy he just didn't have time yeah. you know he didn't, didn't have but a few hours but he could do anything welder so he had a, a job at great dane trucking and sometimes he he didn't go in but he couldn't do anything because he got in the thing and welded inside of it you know they cleaned it out but it, what if there's a bubble in there it could blow the whole thing up and what yeah. many people go in there but he'd go in there he was scared to go in there. <laughs> crazy man there was a time when y'all went to south carolina i think you were paid to beat some guy or you were going there to beat yeah. some guy do you know the story yeah i know the story but how, how did it go a guy called me one day it's a promoter in south carolina and he said he'd give us a hundred dollars Plus what we won if we'd come down. He said he had a guy winning all the races and the crowd was getting mad and they wanted to see some competition. Would you come down there? I said, I, me and Dale talked about it, and I said, we had the Metro line locked in as far as the points. And I thought, well, Dale, this may get your name out there and my name out there a little bit more to be, you know, go somewhere different with change. So we take off down there. And I tell Dale, I said, okay, here's the rules. No money, we don't take it off the trailer. He said, I agree. <laughs> no money, meaning if the promoter don't give you yeah. money, you ain't unloading. Well, and I said, if you had to hit on a guy to pass him, all right, don't wreck him because there ain't nobody there but me and you from in this South Carolina. They may <laughs> kill us down here. So Anyway, we go down there. Nobody can find a promoter. I'm hard-headed. I ain't racing. That's right. So we come back home. Guy, <laughs> guy calls me about money. He apologizes. I said, I don't want no apology. You owe me some money. He said, what would it take for you to come back down here? I said, here's what it'd take. I want my $100 first, and I want two or three hundred or $100, and I don't want to wait till I get down there. you got to drive up here, hand me the money, and I ain't taking no damn check. It's got to be cash money, and he did. So we go down there, and Dale and that other boy, I don't know who the guy was now, they put on a heck of a race. Dale be leading. That guy bump him a little bit and move him up, and then Dale do the same thing. But that's the last time we ever went down there. The guy wouldn't give us no more money, so we didn't come. <laughs> so, but, I, you know, three or $400 was good, plus what we won. So Yeah. Did he pay for your hotel? Because there was also a story, and I don't know if it's the same story. I don't know. You guys got no, to the hotel. you're talking about Wilson, North two, Carolina. Two different, two different times. Okay. I'll tell you about Wilson. Dale comes in the shop one day. I got a 64 Chevelle. We've been running on asphalt. Just painted a body, and it was going to be the backup car, and I was building a new Nova, and, Dale said, is that 64 Chevelle ready to go? I said, yes, ready to go. He said, let's go to Wilson, North Carolina. They got a big race going on down there. I said, uh, he said, let's go down and win it. And I said, let's go win a race. So they hadn't drove for me for a while. <laughs> so he said, all right, we're going to rent. We're going to leave at 2 o'clock in the morning, and we're going to get Randy to go with us. And so me and Randy got down there at 2 o'clock. Dale pulled in. We put it on Ralph's old trailer and, and truck because it had – brakes on it my trailer didn't have no brakes on it so we take off i thought my god it's in north carolina but i mean we had to drive all night i didn't right. know wilson wilson's far away oh god yeah i didn't know it and i had a hundred dollar bill in my pocket when we left and by the time we got there filling up the truck with gas build sure. a car with gas i got about five dollars left right and <laughs> so we get down there and promoter said well, we got an entry fee i said dale get over and talk to this man <laughs> dale's a good talker oh yeah he talked you out of anything and when he got through, I said, Dale, we got to have a hotel room, too. So Dale got her entry fee paid by the promoter, 
and got a free hotel room for that night. So we got out there, and we practiced, and we qualified good. And Dale said, well, let's go to the hotel. So, you know, it was one of them that all the rooms were on the outside. Mm-hmm. So Dale said, we're going to back the trailer and race car right up against the door. And that way, if somebody get, starts messing with it, we'll know about it. <laughs> and hell, we hadn't eaten nothing all day but packed crackers. And I said, uh, where are we going to eat at? And he said, well, there's a steakhouse there at the bottom of the hill. Let's go down there. So me and him and Randy went down there, and we had a big old steak and beer and everything. And I get to wondering, how am I going to get out of here? I ain't got no money. I ain't had no money. And I knew Randy he ain't never had no money. So, <laughs> But uh, Dale had money. He he bought there all the steaks and everything. Well, Dale said, we're going to sleep with the door open tonight. Race cars right there. So just, he had a pistol and he laid it between the two beds on the nightstand there. Holy smokes. Well, Gary, Harry Gant was telling us the next morning, him and his bunch come by and seen the door open. They come in there, they're going to mess with us a little bit. And they happened to see that pistol on the there. And he said, get the hell out of here. Them boys is crazy. Pistol. <laughs> they, y'all, they were, who was packing? Dale, Dale had that pistol. Dale had the there, pistol. Yeah. We didn't have to shoot nobody. He was sleeping with the pistol with the door open in case, in case somebody messed with the rest of the car. Yeah, yeah. Boy, y'all yeah. had a reputation then. Well, we, we run, the ra- run the race. The first couple laps, they had a wreck, and we got into it and tore the whole side up. <laughs> and Dale came in the piss. He said, well, you want to put it on the trailer? I said, hell no, we got to finish the race. We got to have money to get home on. Because he didn't have no money by then. <laughs> so when it was all said and done, I don't think they knew Harry Gant was there, Chuck Piazza was there, big names. Uh, I don't think they knew who won the race. It's just a mess. And the guy gave me $150, and I got out of there. So I said, that'll get us home. So we stopped on the way home, got us a hamburger and everything, come on home. But the whole side of the car was tore up and everything. But uh, That's funny you say Chuck Piazza, because Chuck Piazza was in our Lost Speedway season, and he tells a gun story. And 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 he, I, one of my favorite parts of Lost Speedways is where he's talking about, um, you know, Stick Elliott and all this yep. stuff. But he, I think Stick Elliott got shot at during a race, or at least that's what Stick Elliott's story was. But my point on this is that I guess in Carolinas they'd bring they'd pack some heat, boy. You don't, I don't know if it's just the fans or the owners or whatever. But didn't what, there was a line that. That Piazza said is that Piazza uh, had the whole there, toolbox. There, there was guns in the toolbox, and they <laughs> said, "Don't you worry about what's under there. You just focus on driving the car. We'll ha- we'll handle the rest of it." <laughs> well, Stick, you know, run a lot in South Carolina. It's kind of rough down there. But here's what happened with Stick: when he was driving for Ralph, we got to know him real good. I did. His girlfriend, as soon as the race was over, before he got in the car, would come into the pit area with a towel. Okay. Okay. What was in that towel was a pistol. Sure. And she would give it to him through the car window. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I want to Just in case you, he needed one. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. never know. Yeah. I told, I, told, race. I told you, Daddy, one day, I said, Dale, I said, uh, come on, take a ride with me. We're going to go over to Dan Quietenhouse's shop. He said, what are we going over there for? I said, I'm hunting a carburetor. The rule book said two-barrel carburetor. Well, I always, even if we're winning races, I want to try to be a little bit better, you know, because you can get behind in a hurry. And I told Dale, I said, well, you know, there's nothing else we can do for the engine, but we could do something with the carburetor. So we went over there to Dink's, and Dink said, yeah, look out there all you want. These are trucks, you know. I found a carburetor, so help me, it was this high. And it had a flat plate on the front there with uh, bolt holes in it. And I took my measuring stuff. It was a lot bigger in the Ventura than what we've been running. We had tried, you know, Holly two barrel, 
God, even today, Daddy did one, and some other guys, they were cutting a, a, a Holly race carburetor apart and running off just the front two barrels on it because they were bigger than the other. So we got that, and I measured it quite a bit bigger than what we had. And take it back to the shop. They ain't give me two of them and give me the carburetor kits. That take all you need. So we got back to the shop, and Daddy, he was looking at it, you know, and he said, I, I mean, I think this will work. Well, we went over to Speedway a little bit, Charlotte Motor Speedway, and Daddy kept up the vehicles over there, so we just took it out there on the racetrack, and I said, Dale, I'm driving it. Well, we were running down, you know, and then turn around and come back pit road. Dale's over there hanging on to the roll bar, and he's, he's scared, you know. He, I'm, I'm, I'm winding that thing up in gear. So I told Dale, I said, it feels good here, but we're going to take it to the fairgrounds Friday night. We'll warm up with it. We'll take it off, and we'll um, put our other car back on there, and you know, we'll you know, try it back and forth like that. So he went out there and he run the the uh, qualifying race. And he said, Tommy, this thing is flying. I'm serious. Let me drive it in the feature. I said, all right, we well, can't do nothing but burn the motor up, you know, because we didn't. <laughs> I didn't want to raise the hood. I didn't want anybody to see it. Well, I was looking under the hood and um, to see if we had any leaks or anything. Well, Ralph come over and he, he got down and looked under and he said, what the hell is that? <laughs> and I, he said, it looks like a fuel injector. I said, no, it's a Two-barrel carburetor to get them across the street. Well, we run it in the feature, won it. And we we started running ever since, put, put one on both cars. And then they went to a four-barrel, and we put two of them on an engine. <laughs> and uh, they finally, they protested. Well, I couldn't hardly breathe. There's so many people around the car, I had to take the carburetor off. I didn't read the whole rule book. But the rule book said two-barrel carburetors still in production. Well, I knew it was a two-barrel carburetor, but I ain't <laughs> sure about that production. Well, they had to put up $70 or something. There's ads in, I mean, papers in here about it. And um, so the promoter held up the money, took the carburetor. He called, I think it was a Holly carburetor, truck carburetor. He called them, and then they said, how many you want? We still got in production. We'll oh. sell you all you want. So we were clear. Yeah. We got our money. And plus the money they put up for tearing it down. That's right. But guys were crowd around me there that one guy said my god that's the biggest thing i've ever seen it looks like a big old blower on a on top of that engine no they was just going nuts with it but I, that's the part i loved about racing trying something different stir up some stuff you know and we just we we just had a good time back in the day yeah so um, you were you're around dad in his first cup start at 1975 at uh charlotte the world 600 what do you remember about qualifying that day i can't tell at all why not? Uh, just won't. <laughs> I'll tell you later. All right. Uh, yeah, uh, Dale had a way with my daddy. He could talk to daddy and anything. He, he called daddy. He said, uh, James, we really need Tommy over here for a couple of days because it wasn't nobody but Norman being a mechanic and, you know, Dale was in the car and everything. So Dale let me off work, went over there and helped him get the car ready to race and everything. I, me and Norman was going to change the tires and everything. That's a big deal with us, you know, running sure. that Grand Astrum car. Massive. It was, uh, uh, I thought I was somebody there for right. a while. <laughs> <laughs> but how'd qualifying go? We made the race. Yeah. Made the race. Yeah. I'm That's, curious on what he's not saying. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I guess there was a cheating. Your your buddies are back there talking about it too, yeah, and I no, want to put a mic on yeah, them because no, they're sitting there doing no. their hand gestures. Statue yeah. of limitations. Yeah. Look at him. He, th 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 there's everybody. He's the line. I feel like everybody in the room knows what's going on except us, yeah. Dale. 
<laughs> should I get him to tell it? Yeah. They're saying, yeah, you should what tell What happened? We had to have a bottle. A nitrous? Nit- Dad had nitrous. Oh, boy. <laughs> and I said, Dale, where is the bottle? He said, damn it, Tommy, I'm sitting on the bottle. <laughs> and he, he says, you see that pop river behind the air filter? That's where it's coming out at. But damn. As soon as qualifying's over, we got it the hell out there. Yeah. <laughs> That's a big mistake. I wish I'd have known that. I so hope nobody Daddy, watches this show now. <laughs> well, I mean, everybody, I mean, you know, there's a lot of nitrous back then um, in race cars, you know. Uh, but uh, – that's funny. It is funny. <laughs> so, so um, well, the funny part is, is because around 1995 or six, I was I was working on my late model car, and I'm out in this. I'm kind of in this, in this. Uh, I'm working on my car in a warehouse. Uh, Dad put all his parts and stuff in from his Xfinity team. I think Jeff Green was the driver at the time, but um, I'm out there working on my car. And I'm right next to the paint booth. There's a phone. And I don't know how in the hell I figured this out, but I got a hold of somebody that sold nitrous. And I was on the phone with this guy asking him about it. And Dad walked up on me. I didn't know he was standing there. And I'm on the phone talking to this guy. And I got off the phone, and I turned, and there's Daddy. And he's like, if you ever put nitrous on, or if you ever put nitrous on your late model car, you won't be going to the racetrack with it. He's like, I'm, he's like, that's my race car, and you ain't putting nitrous on it. Mm-hmm. That was his way of saying that you're not going to do that. And he talked so – he talked like a guy who had never right. used nitrous. <laughs> <laughs> if I had known, well, damn, Daddy. Changes got, everything. You used a little nitrous back in the day. Right. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I want to tell you this story, too, before we run out of time. Well, you ain't going to run out of time. Dale called me one day, and he said, um, got that race in Ontario, California next week. This is 1980. I wanted to ask you about this. So in 1980, Dad's going to Ontario, and he and Kale Yarbrough are like five points apart mm-hmm. for the championship, potentially, and, and eventually Dad's first championship. He's only been in cup for a year and a half, mm-hmm. two years. This is his second full season. Well, he called me and he said, Tommy, I'm going to go win that championship. Damn. And he said, I won't. He said, you were there from the beginning. I want you there with me. And so he got me, Randy, and Danny. We all got on a commercial plane in, in uh, Charlotte, and we flew to California. So he got us a couple rooms there and everything, and we rented a car, and he said, damn, Tommy, I wonder what this thing will do in race. I said, race? He said, yeah, let's try it. We were running about 60 miles an hour, and he put it in race, R for reverse. 
<laughs> that, old car, that old car was shaking like this. Then we started flying backwards. So I said, put her back in D. <laughs> <laughs> what it'll do in race. Here, here's what he did. Here's what he did before we left. That's so funny. He called my wife. <laughs> Throw her in race. Am I See what she can do. <laughs> here's, what, here's what he did. He called my daddy, got me out of work for that week. He called my wife, and he said, Rain, I need to know Tommy's shirt size and his jean size and get him a tie and send it with him to California. I'm thinking, hell, I hate a tie. I don't like nothing tie on my neck. But anyway, she got me a tie. And um, we got to California. Dale, I think it was five or six pair of jeans. He just got the Wrangler sponsorships, that many shirts. A belt. I still got the big old belt that says Wrangler on it. And uh, so one night he said, all right, get, boys, get your ties on. We're going to go out to eat a steak. And I said, Dale, where's your tie? He said, oh, hell, I've been here before. I don't need no tie. Mm-hmm. Y'all got to wear one to get in. <laughs> so we get to the door. You know, we got my brand new tie on. Here comes this lady up, and she's got a pair of scissors about that long. She cuts my tie off right here. Cuts Randy's and Danny's. <laughs> and she said, look at the ceiling. Now there's hundreds of them. <laughs> and that was a trick. He got us on there. But, That's pretty funny. Yeah. But we had a we had a good time there. And uh, here, here's the only thing that scared me about that trip. They had a motor in the car. They practiced with it. And right before, uh, before qualifying, they dumped the water out of it, you know, and filled it up with cool water, and they qualified. Well, they put the race engine in there, and Dale said, this engine ain't got as much power as the qualifying engine. I want them to switch back. Well, my thinking is, you know, when you cool the engine off, did something crack? And he did get a lap down during the race. I forget what happened. Loose wheel. But he made it back up. And, boy, when that thing was over, he took us up in the, the press box upstairs where they had all that going on. I mean. For the championship. I thought I was somebody again, you know, because he won that championship. Mm. Second year he run. Yeah. And he won a race in the first year. That's hard yeah. to do, too. But And then on, he said, uh, we're going to fly back to uh, – we're going to fly to uh, Las Vegas, spend the night there. Well, I've never been there. and ain't none of them been here. And uh, the room they put Dale in, and, and Danny was with Dale, and Randy was with me, it was a room like Frank Sinatra would be in. Big room. A uh, big old bed and mirrors, you know, and yeah. all this bar in there and all that. And your daddy gave us all a little bit of money. I brought my money back. I wasn't going to gamble it, but I'd I'd lose anyway. I might as well just keep it. But we stayed there about one or two nights and come on home. I heard that he got, uh, like in the middle of the night one night, he got y'all and said, let's get the hell out of here. (laughs) Maybe. Because he was was like, what am I doing out here? I'm I'm ready to go home and see everybody. Did you go to, uh, where's that sign at? Where's the sign for for the damn party? Did you go to the party at Peppers, Sergeant Peppers? No. Mm-mm. You did. All right. Oh, so, we got a hand in the room. Yep. Went up. There was a party in the local party when Dad got back in town. Some people met us at the airport when we come off the airplane. But before we left Vegas, they said if anybody would get off the airplane, they'll give them $250 and then another ticket to fly back later. Yeah. So, hell, I get up. I'll get me $250 to grab Dale grabbed me and said, get your ass back. You ain't getting off this plane. For $250, you're just going to get on another one. Yeah. Yeah, so that Sergeant Peppers, I guess that's a local, local place around Kannapolis, they had a little guest-only invited uh, party. And that's the 
sign that, that was on the outside of the building. I didn't get up there, I don't think. I can't remember if I did. Was that any good? Was that party good? She put that together, I think. See, Kathy put it together. All right. Man, I, I just. Let me tell you the cricket did, story. And, did, and Larry Easley right. was the one that did it. Dale believed in crickets was good luck. Mm, really? Huh. And he didn't want you to kill a cricket, especially around a race car. Well, That's the first time I heard that one. He had had some bad luck. So Larry in there, he goes by the store where he sells fishing stuff and gets a whole tube of crickets and goes up there to the shop, dumps some in the race car and put the rest in the shop up there. And Dale's happy. He liked that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what a cricket means, but. That's crazy. I yeah. never heard that. Yeah. I know peanuts was bad luck, and Ralph, oh, yeah. Ralph used to run people out of the shop if they oh, come yeah. in there with a bag of peanuts. Yeah. I heard, now I'm probably not a true story, but I heard Ralph pulled a gun on a guy one time at the track because he walked around his car with peanuts. Is that right? I never uh, heard that one. Did you ever see Ralph with a gun? No, I didn't. Yeah. No, I he didn't. He didn't seem like a gun carrying kind no, of guy. No, I don't think he ever. Now, they would go hunting. hunting but not a pistol guy. Yeah. I, not a pistol at the racetrack kind of guy. Yeah, Danny, Randy, and... and uh, <laughs> Dale went hunting. Randy was telling me this, you know, he was my brother-in-law. Well, one of them took a dump over here, and yep. they were they rotated places, and one of them didn't see it and sit down in it. Oh <laughs> no, <laughs> Lord, that's hilarious. <laughs> who who was the who one who took the dump? I don't know. You have to ask Danny. Maybe he'll remember. Oh boy, it was him, uh, Randy, and, and Dale went on that trip together. Yeah, good heavens! Did you ever go hunting with him? I no, I, I never did go hunting. He, he come down to the shop one time and he said, Tommy, I want you to wire this thing. He had a thing on a trailer where you hunt out of. I mean, it's like the Taj Mahal. You, know, you see people with them up in the tree and all. He had his on wheels and he had me wired all up where they have lights inside. I said, good heavens. You, you ain't going hunting. You're just going right. have glamour. a good time. Yeah. It was like a glamour, uh, yeah. glamour stand. Yeah. That's interesting. That changes things a little bit on, on, on the stigma of Dale Earnhardt too, by the way, because yeah. Uh, you know, we thought he was roughing it, but he had a, he also had his penthouse tree oh, stand. Yeah. What was the last race car you owned? Chevrolet Nova. Chevrolet Nova. And you, you can see it in here. It's the 87. It's in different colors. And um, There's one picture here I want you to see. See if y'all know who this is. There's Dinks and Bank. Banks. I, I don't know if, if you ever knew it or not, but going into Charlotte, down, like you're going downtown Charlotte, there was a racetrack right there on the left, and it was like a fairgrounds racetrack. Yeah. And it had a crazy pit area. You backed up in front of the grandstand. It wasn't it wasn't no pit road or anything. You backed up. I don't know. It looked like that would be dangerous if you lost a car. And Is come this in over by the airport? Yeah. No. No, it's downtown Charlotte oh. just about, yeah. This is the Southern States one at the corner of Sugar Creek yeah. and okay. uh, 29. And this picture here is Banks. This is when they were at Daytona running the beach. And you can see Russell's garage on there. And that B-29 was Dink Widenhouse, yep, and the other yeah. car was Banks. That car was in the Lost Speedways episode. So the last car you owned is this 80? It's a Chevrolet Nova. So this Nova, where'd you race it at? Just all the short tracks and dirt tracks? Metrolinas and uh, stuff? Well, the, the Nova, we run it at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Yeah. We run it at, uh, well, we tried to qualify for Martinville, Virginia. And we run it uh, at uh, Hickory and uh, Charlotte. Who's driving it? That David Perry drove it for a while. Uh, he's out of South Carolina. When? Why did you decide? When? When was it finally uh, time for you to to get out of owning cars? Was it expensive? 
No, it, it had nothing to do with that. It, it didn't have anything to do with working on the cars because I love that. But here's the way what happened. When you have had the best driver in the whole wide world drive your race car, yeah, you cannot get back to that point. I worked on those cars. I had them running good. And you 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 got to have somebody to wheel, man. And I never could find somebody that good again. And I just finally said, to hell with it. You know? mm, yeah. But your daddy, asphalt, dirt, racing the commode, whatever, he's going to win. What do you remember? When do you remember first seeing me or Kelly? Well, <laughs> I brought some tapes today. I told you when I was up here before one time that I had some tapes of you when you were a kid over Randy and my sister's house is is a birthday party for somebody. Really? I brought four or five of them. Uh, Matthew said that he could take them and convert them and convert them. Are they beta? I don't know if you're on these. All right. Because I didn't label none of them. The ones I got at home, I labeled. I hope it's one of those because maybe we can embarrass you with that sometime. <laughs> Damn, I can't wait. <laughs> well, for that. I'm dying to see that. Yeah. Hopefully, Matthew will get that done. I'll have to stay on him. Well, I got a friend now for life, Matthew. We At Punchy's Diner, we, we talked about three hours. I'm afraid it was going to run us out of there. But we did eat and have, have some coffee and all, but. There's one picture of a driver in there. I want you to tell me who it is. <laughs> He's holding something in his hands. I didn't see the guy in there. So yeah, you see, they they, get, they got that picture. Oh, I see a headline in there that's interesting. That picture right there. Okay. He's holding something in his hands. Tell me who that driver is. I'm looking. Well, the guy with the guy on the right, I think it's Fireball. It's Fireball Roberts. Yeah. You wanting to know that one or the guy on the left? The guy on the left, you see how he got his hat? Yeah. He ran around with Fireball. And uh, after Fireball passed, he would come to Daddy's shop. He'd come up here. He had some family lived in, in Staya. He'd be down at the shop every day for about a week, and he'd be gone again. But, uh, yeah, that's Fireball. That piece come out of somebody's rear end and went through Fireball's windshield mm. dirt track. Oh, wow. Fireball looked pretty cool. Now, hold on. I'm sorry. That. I want to tell you something about Fireball, too, if you don't mind. Yeah. Charlotte Motor Speedway and Rockingham. Daddy had a crew, and uh, George Mantooth had a crew. And our job was clean the track before you. Daddy went with us some, too. They paid about $50, $60 a piece a day. We, and uh, your daddy went with us and worked some, too. I always seen Ralph. He parked down there in, like, three and four, that blue truck. You know, he'd always be mm -hmm. there in the infield. And um, the wreck happened. We'd have to go out on the track and clean up and, you know, blow the – Speedy drive. They had a tractor with a blower on it back in the day. Well, the day Fireball got burned up, the racetrack on the inside down the back stretch had openings in it. Yep. Okay. Should have never done that. When Fireball come down, he slid right by us, and the back of that car went in that opening and just ripped a tank out of it. And I mean, a ball of fire. Right. That should have never happened. He should have known better than that. Yep. You know that truck you're talking about? The yeah, Ralph's the truck? Band? Yeah. The blue one? You still got it? No, nah, I know the guy who's got it. I'm oh, trying okay. to get it. Uh, it still looks that. the same. Still got the same board sides on it, uh, on the flatbed. That'd be nice to have. It would. <laughs> when I was going through all this stuff before I saw Matthew, I, I found this, and then I got to thinking about it. Me and your daddy was having a few beers one night, you know? Just When's this? When he was driving for me back in the okay. 70s. 
we was having us a few beers and talk got around the money and everything. And I don't know, one of us said, well, we I got a dollar. And the other one said, well, let's tear it in half. And that way we were together, we got a dollar. So there was my half. No mm. kidding. There's my half. Let me see there. it. <laughs> so wait, what did he say? He, yeah, they had a dollar bill and tore it in half. So if they was ever together, they'd have a, they'd have a whole buck. That's crazy. We were some crazy guys back in the day. Y'all were. <laughs> if you don't have these two pictures, I want you to have them. Mm -hmm. This is fun. That's the truck. That's yep. Rouse blue truck. Mm -hmm. So I know the guy that's got it, and I'm trying to get it because I want to see if I can restore it, if it's still got floorboards and stuff in it. The rockers ain't too rusted out. I imagine it's in pretty bad shape. So... That old truck's been up the road before. Yeah, I sure. Do you mean you know of the guy or you know the person? I know of the tr the truck. I gotcha. he, they reached out to us, and we'll see. Oh, gotcha. That's that Harry, Harry Gant car. Mm-hmm. That's Metrolina, I think. Look yeah, at it looks like Metrolina. Billboards yeah. in the background. Yeah, I, I think Metrolina would have stayed around a lot longer if it had been stayed dirt. Yeah. They drove a good crowd in there for dirt racing. I don't know what they did for much for uh, asphalt. You know, asphalt wasn't big in this area at that time. Were you, I'm reading this Speedy Thompson clip that you have in your scrapbook. Were you friends with Speedy Thompson? Because this is one a viv very vivid article about his death. But uh, I cut that out of the newspaper. Yeah, but yeah. did you? Did, what was Speedy? Did you know him? Daddy knew him. I didn't. I don't I think I've ever met him. Yeah. Speedy Thompson, another one that we talk about yeah. in Lost Speedways. But this is a this is an article talking about he had a heart attack during the 21st lap. Of a forty-lap feature at Charlotte Speedway, Metrolina. Metrolina, yeah. The quotes in this article—I don't even think I want to read them but, uh, out loud. But they—they're the, very. The guy detailed. that uh, drove for Harry Hyde to Kane Kane Dodge. What was his name? Um, Bobby Isaac. Bobby Isaac. See, he something similar like that happened at Hickory. Mm. From what I understand, Bobby told Harry Hyde, he said, "I ain't going to race." Winston Cup no more. I'm making too much money, and they charge me too much taxes. And he said, "Damn it, Bobby! The more money you make, the more pay. but you're making the money. You know, you ain't losing anything. You're making the money." But he started running Hickory with us, you know, racing against us. But he died up there at Hickory, I think. He's buried right there at the racetrack. Yeah, is right, that right? Right up the hill. I think he, he may have died one night there. I don't know. I can't remember. Goodness, it seemed like he had a heart attack too. I don't know. I mean, to be honest with you, a lot of that. I mean, between I didn't know that this was Speedy Thompson's end, but uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if it was just the lifestyle or what. But yeah, I, I, I guess there's a lot of people that, a lot of racers that were dying of heart attacks. Yeah, it could be something maybe about fumes inside a car. You know, I don't know that and cooking with, uh, cooking with Crisco and all kinds of other crazy stuff <laughs> back then. Stuff that we've learned. Yeah. <laughs> that probably wasn't the best. Buckets of Crisco. I, I still can't eat baked chicken. I want my pitching fry like my mama fried. Yeah, <laughs> amen to that. <laughs> we used to get all those buckets of that Crisco, and, it, man, that was like a, an ingredient yeah. for every meal. Yeah. It's funny because you said not knowing about Ralph's heart attack. I know in the papers it was listed mostly as an illness that for, he had. For and, Ralph. Yeah, for Ralph. And um, and I've got him run, running three races After. when he finally came back, just at the end of that season, right before he had that heart attack. Here's just some more to look at. So he might have ran a race or two before yeah. the end of the year. Yeah. That's wild, man. While he looks at that, I want to ask you about the shop, because um, you know, according to our notes here, you and Dale built that by hand. 
And is this the shop, by the way, that you still that still stands that we've seen today? His dad's shop on the side. Your dad's right? shop is it? You and you and Dale built that. Yeah, help him out. Well, I asked him one day. I said, Dale. I said, you know how to build a shop? He said, No, I don't know how to build a shop. I said, Well, I don't either. But we're gonna start tomorrow. And see, <laughs> naturally, <laughs> my daddy's shop was there, and it was a brick, you know, cement block. So I thought, Well, that'll be one wall. So we're gonna build two walls that come out, and then we're gonna. At the other end, we put two doors. Well, the two doors cost more than a whole all the wood. But we we went at it. You know, we just I built some learned how to build some bunkers in the Marine Corps. So I just used some of that, and we drill holes in there and put two by four bolted them to the wall to hold that end up. And then we worked off of that to make the sides. And the, I, I really meant this: the the roof leaked a little bit. No, we didn't care. You know, we. We put a hole in the ground because Daddy's shop didn't have a bathroom, so we put a hole in the ground in the pipe. And years later, we did put a bathroom in mm-hmm. there. That's uh, just in case you went ahead and had it. Yeah, had it, the pipe. it would hold three cars. Okay, but that's why we had the backup car. We'd have one there, and I, I, this, Ralph got more mad at this than anything I've ever seen. We were at Concord Speedway. They bunched up on Dale and wrecked, wrecked him. Tore the car up pretty good. So we loaded it on the trailer, went back to the shop, got the other car, put it on the trailer, and they did the same thing with the other car in the feature. Ralph was hot. He said, Tommy, you leave one car up here. You take one of your shop and fix it. I'm going to fix this one for you up here. And I guess those guys, a lot of them, they were talking, well, we won't see them for a month or two. We rolled in the next Friday night ready to race. Mm-hmm. Nice. And we went after some butt, too. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was there ever any fights? No, I don't think so. Really? No. How is it you managed? How is it Ralph or Dale manages to get out with all the run-ins that you have in all the different places? How how is it you? Did he talk his way out of a fight? It just never happened. No, uh, it was kind of a normal thing on the dirt track. You know, spin a man or something, wreck him or something. And uh, yeah, I've seen these Winston Cup drivers. Well, I'll tell you one thing: I'm gonna get back at him. Off. All right. Do, they'll do nothing. Nothing. On dirt, you do it. Yeah. As soon as you catch them, you do it. It right. don't make no difference. The first lap, last lap, you do it. But uh, it's, it's entirely different ball game back in the day, anyway. So, going back to the point that you were making about the shop that you and Dale just figured it out. You said something early on in the interview where how smart he was. I mean, it was back when Dale Jr. was talking about how he dropped out of school, and you said, "Well, but he was so smart and he had so much common sense." My question to you is, that's clearly what you noticed of Dale, you know, as you guys spent so much time together, was it evident then though, like back when he was a teenager, like even when he dropped out of school, was it clear that he had common sense about him that others don't have? And that it's somewhat unusual. Uh, Definitely. So he had a lot of common sense and see his education was that shop and Ralph Earnhardt. Yeah. And mine was my daddy's shop and my daddy. Yeah. And um, we learned a lot from him. Hell, Dale could degree a cam. Hey, that's not easy to do. He could degree a cam. He could build an engine. He could set the caster and camera, tow in. That's, that, you got to have a lot of math to do that kind of stuff. He could do all that stuff. Mm-hmm. He could build anything. And I, I'm, I'm sure he knew how to take care of his money when he started making a lot of money. I've been with him before, and when he was making talking to people, you know about 
investing, blah, blah, blah. And he knew it. He knew it well. So, You got people that think that Dale hung the moon, and you got the others that think of Dale and like, oh, no, he had flaws. Which is it for you? When you think back on Dale Earnhardt, do you think hung the moon Dale, or do you think, you know, raise hell Dale, had problems, got through them? I, I, he didn't uh-huh. – I don't know if you call it having any flaws or anything. He's, to me, he was just a great guy. I mean, they call him intimidator. That man had a big heart. Big heart. Mm-hmm. And I took, you know, I, re- I left Daddy's garage, and I took a job teaching auto mechanics at Northwest High School. And um, Dale let me bring the kids up to DEI. And, um, but you see where what Dale's doing. He's with the kids. He's showing them around the shop. They had um, – one of the trucks, it was just starting the truck series, had it covered up in the shop. It was already painting everything. And he told the guys working there, he said, uncover the car, let these kids see it. And that's when they got uh, Napa Auto Parts to sponsor it. Oh, wow. wow and the cool. kids are the first one to see it. But here's how smart the kids were. Well, a lot of times they wasn't too smart. But anyway, they all had a sun drop box there in the, where you put your money and get a drink. You know, oh, yeah, a machine, drink. yeah. And I noticed that all the kids were going over, and, it, and it, they all had it, I guess, what it cost. It was like a quarter or something sure. for a can. The kids were getting those sundrop cans, and they were drying them up and, and, and getting Dale to sign them for mm-hmm. a souvenir. That's pretty cool, right? Yeah. I mean, they thought of that. But uh, and, and two, what Dale did, he said, Tommy, well, first of all, he said, Tommy, I would love Dale Jr. to take your course at school. And I said, well, figure out a way to get him to Northwest, and I'll get him in there. He believed that you could be a better race car driver the more you knew about the car, the fixing the car or building the car or whatever. But he, every year, he would take one of my students. He said, I'm not going to interview him. You pick him, bring him up here. Well, I took one kid up there, a nice kid, and he come in one day to school, and he said, Mr. Russell, when I was leaving yesterday, they were running the back of me. And I said, well, did he hurt your car or anything? No, he didn't hurt the car or anything. I, I said, he's just telling you hello. If he's mad at you, he'll turn you around the street. <laughs> so don't worry about it. And the kid, they always took a break for lunch, and they played cards there at DEI. Well, the kid sat down and played with him. He won the money. And this is what Dale couldn't figure. He said, Tommy, give all the money back to him. And I said, well, that ain't right, you know. But that's just that kid was that way. And they had him back there dismounting tires off wheels, and the kid was messing around, and he hit it with a hammer. And, of course, it come back and hit him in the head and knocked him out for a little bit. So, <laughs> but every year, they'll let me put another kid in there. And one kid I took up there, and this kid's daddy had something to do with building frames or something in NASCAR, but uh, they were talking to him. They said, now, sometime we may have you drive the truck to go pick up parts or something like that. And the kid said, I ain't got no license. I said, what do you mean you ain't got no license? I see you drive to school every morning. He <laughs> said, well, I slip out after mom and dad go to work and drive. So, and he didn't get the job. But uh, <laughs> I kept somebody up there the whole time, you yeah. know. What are you thinking? What, you see anything in there you like? There's a bunch of news articles. They're all pretty cool. This yeah. is awesome. Well, those two are your books now. Man, I appreciate it. I ain't got nothing like it. Wild. We, we've lost Dale. You put him with a scrapbook, nah, man, fine. and he's loving yeah. it, man. He's having a great, great Ooh, time wow, right there. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'll probably see Dale before you do, wherever. <laughs> I'm going to tell him what a good boy you are. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. That's pretty. 
you know, these albums are like time capsule stuff. Yeah. I mean, this is what's so cool about them is that, mm-hmm. you know, very rarely do you get, at this point of life get to see stuff about your own family this detailed. I mean, you've, you've kept some very valuable things here. It's, uh, it's, it's very cool. It's even better that you brought them. Yep. Pretty awesome, man. Well, Tommy. Uh, you got my check? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've wanted to sit down with you for a while and uh, listen to some of your stories and just envious, you know, of guys like you uh, that that lived around that lifetime and got to experience all the things you got to experience. And I'm so thankful and grateful that you want to come here and share with us what it was like, you know, and not only, uh, you know, what your life was like, but Ralph and dad and being around them so much and being such a great friend of my father's and um, having such a great connection and relationship to them. Um, it's really the only way a lot of people like myself will ever know uh, what those times were like. And uh, we try our hardest, you know, use our imaginations to, to, to put ourselves in those moments. Uh, so we thank you for bringing yourself over here today and, and sharing with us and, and, having some stuff leaving some stuff with us it's pretty cool being able to look at all this stuff and yeah i hope i'll be around a lot longer maybe we get together again sometime do something but dinks send an airplane we need to see that maybe we need to go if you want to do it i'm going to do it he fell and when he gets better and gets home i'm gonna go sit down with him he wants to talk about old stuff so uh dink dink whitehouse yeah you're saying dink whitehouse fell is he hurt yeah, he broke he broke some ribs up and uh, pelvis pelvis. Uh, he was in ICU. Now she called me. His daughter called me last night. He's out of ICU. But he's still gonna have some recovery time. But yes. he's a tough old bird. He is one of our favorites. My daddy said he's one of the best he'd ever seen on dirt. Yeah. Well, man, we appreciate you. Thanks for coming all this way, Thank and Thank we enjoyed you. this conversation, and learning about the history of the sport and uh, and a couple of people that matter to us. So thank you very much, man. Well, thank you for having me up here, buddy. I appreciate it. Tommy Russell on the Dale Jr. Download. And we are live, Dale. Hey, everybody. It's Dale Jr. And we're live here on the Dirty Mo Media YouTube channel. Appreciate you guys for tuning in. And thanks for supporting everything we do uh, on Dirty Mo Media and all our handles. Share with your friends everything we got going on so they can see all the cool clips and maybe listen to some podcasts. This is Ask Junior portion of the show presented by Xfinity. We appreciate everything Xfinity does. And uh, I've told you guys a hundred times that uh, they do a good job in our sport, celebrate, uh, supporting everything that, you know, the Xfinity series and everything else they got going on throughout the cup races. They put a lot of effort. Uh, we really appreciate it. Also, um, I'm a customer, paying customer, bought the service before they ever, you know, wanted to support the podcast. And uh, it's been going great for me. So XFI Xfinity is, uh, is where it's at. And I uh, hope you guys uh, will go check it out. They're a proud premier partner of NASCAR, and we, we love them. So, anyways, uh, Leah's got some questions that you guys have sent to Xfinity Racing on Twitter we're gonna we're gonna answer i know that um we we didn't earlier in the show we didn't really get into uh the finish at martinsville so i'm hoping that you guys uh got some questions for us about that yeah our first question coming from miller if nascar doesn't respond to hamlin and his actions after the race on the front stretch will this be the new norm on how drivers respond to each other well let's not assume that nascar isn't going to have a conversation with denny and say hey man you know Let's let's not let's not do that. Maybe they did. Maybe they did. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. I agree with 
Dale Jarrett and Kyle Petty right at, at, at the post-race said that, you know, it's, it's kind of bad form or against the code or whatever to, to infringe on another driver's celebration or his victory lane. Now, Alex wasn't in his victory lane celebration at the moment. You know, I, I, I really didn't have a real big problem with what Denny was doing when it happened. Like, you, my, my initial gut reaction is kind of the one I'm going to go with. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna form. I'm not gonna change sort of the way I think or feel about it as as uh, as the week goes on. Uh, when it happened, I was like, "Oh, this is interesting. This is fun." You know, I think that somebody comes on the radio and tells Denny, "Hey, man, let's not you know do anything too egregious here. Let's not get ourselves in trouble and allow NASCAR to have to come in and do anything that they really don't want to do." Right? NASCAR doesn't want to have to penalize Denny as we're leading into. Uh, Phoenix for uh, uh, you know one of the most important moments of the season. So Denny gets out of there and and gets to the pits. So I think if you remember back when uh, when I when I spun Ky- or spun uh, Carl Edwards off a of turn two at Michigan in an Xfinity race years ago, Carl come comes into victory lane at, to the car. That if you know that I I don't like. Uh, I don't I think that victory lane is off limits Mm -hmm. when the race is over and a guy goes to victory lane you don't go in there to start a confrontation uh or have a conversation you just don't you wait till he's done doing that you find another time you just do i don't think really denny did that i think you know with the way things worked out i think it, it was okay so you know i i don't think we'll see that going forward because we don't run at martinsville every single week right you know I just, you know, I think that we're only going to see that when we go to these type of racetracks, which is a shame. <laughs> right. Wish you know, I had more. Yeah. Wish somebody would speak up and say we need more short tracks. Yeah, maybe we should. Maybe we should Maybe we should speak up <laughs> and say that, you know, I don't know, short tracks are a good thing. You know, if you like the big crowds, I guess. Yeah, you if know, you like people getting excited. If you like drama and, and people talking about racing, NASCAR all week, um, <laughs> that would be cool. I'm just kidding. Leah's giving, face is great. I'm giving him a hard time. <laughs> I, I, listen, can I just add to that real quick? If you have a problem with what Denny did, then we don't need to have a cutoff race at Martinsville and, and certainly don't think NASCAR is going to go do something to, to to counter the drama or to dilute the drama. That I, mean, yeah, I thought he did everything. Great. What his message was is, you're not doing spin outs and burnouts on my watch, pal. And that was that. I thought that was fine. Of course, he went and did a whiny interview, but I, I like the – I liked what I saw there. Yeah, called him, cool. called him a hack. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next question from Mark Brandsetter. What are your thoughts on the way non-playoff drivers have been running against the playoff drivers this year? By no means am I complaining because I think it's been great, but it just seems like there's not much give and take from the non-playoff drivers this year overall. You know, I I feel like that it's good that the non-playoff drivers don't give and take. When we go to a race, and I remember a couple years ago we were at Homestead. Kyle Larson had a really, really good car uh, driving for Chip Ganassi, and he probably he even said after the race or commented, like, you know, I was not wanting to – there were two guys racing for the title. I think it might have been Truex and Kyle Busch. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly, but it was a trio of guys, two, ch- two championship guys in the championship race, the final race, and Kyle Larson. Kyle had the best car, but he couldn't and didn't – do all the things that he would typically do and take all the risks 
with those drivers around that he would typically take. And that was walking away from that. I was I was like, man, I wish it wasn't like that. I wish I wish Kyle Larson didn't have to race that way all night long. Uh, what do you do? How do you fix that? Right. I I, I just wish. That was just part of that was an ingredient in the cake that I didn't want in there, right? If you could make the best cake, uh, <laughs> you wouldn't put that ingredient in there. And I was like, man, we got. How do we get around that? How do we get? If you're gonna have all the playoff guys and the non-playoff guys in a race, you want everybody going for the win, right? You want every driver, every race I've ever lined up to get in. I was, I want everybody was there to win, uh, or trying to win, or dreaming about winning, not. You don't want to ever get in a race and go, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a good day and try not to ruin uh, these these four guys' day. That's not racing. So uh, I'm, I kind of I think it's good to see the etiquette and the the the. I think it's good to see the the culture changing a bit to where these non-playoff guys feel like they can go out there and compete and. You know, if they get in the middle of some things that happen on the racetrack with a playoff guy, they're there to race. You know, and that's we're in that day, in that moment, it's a race. There's a there's a there's a trophy given to the winner at the end of that race, and everybody's there giving the same effort to get that trophy. I would. It is not fun to go to a race and watch drivers move out of the way for playoff drivers, and. It isn't. And so, you know, I think all the playoff drivers end up at the front of the field and everyone else is back there racing for fifth. Uh, hell of a race for fifth. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm liking the culture changing toward the playoff drivers uh, having to deal with the non-playoff drivers being competitive and racing hard. And, and there de- definitely needs to be some respect. There definitely, it's the same respect, though, that you would expect in the first race of the year. Or the second, third, you know, it's the same respect that you want all year long. You definitely don't want, you know, non-playoff drivers completely disrespectful toward what's happening in the championship. You can't be oblivious to that. But at the same time, if they can, if they have a good enough car like Alex Bowman and they can go up there and try to win a clock, you want them to try. You don't want them to ride behind the playoff drivers feeling like they can't race. So uh, the culture's shifting a little bit. And uh, I think it's a good thing. But, you know, again, like you gotta, as a non-playoff guy, you're going to be uber aware of what's happening with these, with these guys that are racing for a title. If you're going to go out there and take the risk to try to win that race, you've got to be willing to take the backlash should you ruin a chance for one of those guys to win a title. You've got to be willing to accept that and be able to explain yourself. Next question from at NASCAR from birth. Since hack is the word of the week, what is your favorite life hack? Oh my gosh. I know. It's hard. <laughs> it I was trying to think of why life did hack. you ask me these hard your favorite Because these are oh, the good like, oh, this ones. is a hard question. Let me ask him a hard one. I was trying to think of one um, last night. <laughs> yeah. Well, like let me hack. get one. Let me think of one in 30 seconds. All right. Um, <laughs> You You're spent, on the clock. You spent, you spent all, all night, night, so I'm going to pop one. one into my mind in a few <laughs> seconds life here. Hack. Anybody else have any life hacks, Mike? No, actually, I'm spork. still thinking about the last question. <laughs> <laughs> the spork. I'm just. I'm thinking about Danny. It, yeah. I, to answer your question, no, I'm still. I still got so much to say about the last question. Oh, well, let's hear it. Yeah. I, yeah. I think the fact that Denny Hamlin is up front, it it does play into it. It's a it's a theory. I don't know for sure. But Denny Hamlin has been spun out of the lead on the last two laps before this year, 
Who was it that did it at the Roval? Somebody did it. My point on this is that you mentioned respect. Chase Briscoe. Chase Briscoe yes. did it. You mentioned respect. So I have a feeling that who is leading may play into the ma- to, to the decision on how you handle the situation. And Denny seems to not have the respect. I don't know. Oh, okay. So drivers are uh, drivers are okay risk taking bigger risks around Denny. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, think about it this way. Think about That's it this way. That's a good point. That's a good point. Then he got wrecked, and how much booze did he get from the crowd? In Virginia. In Virginia. Like, he was so booed in that, he after was, that thing. They he booed was the one, him at the intros. He was the, really? But he was the yeah. victim of that situation. And so I'm just saying, you do mention a good point of, you know, these guys respecting the people that are in the playoffs. Well, Denny was locked in at that point. Not sure that Alex Bowman would have known that at the moment. Maybe it would have even mattered. If it was a Kevin Harvick up there, does Alex Bowman do the same thing to Kevin? Does he do the same thing to Chase? Does he you know, certainly Chase is a teammate? I don't know. In the moment, like if you got Denny and, and Alex sitting here, um, Alex is going to say, man, it was a mistake, guys. I messed up. Right. I got loose. Right. We see it all the time at that racetrack getting into the corner there. I messed up. Denny's going to sit here and say, I gave you plenty of racetrack. I wanted you to just race me. Why can't you race me without messing up, right? Uh, that's that's going to be the two the two trains of thought right there between two drivers. But, you know, so I don't know whether Sunday was really a respect issue with Denny. Maybe the Roval might have been, you know, with, with Chase. Like, hey, you know, Chase, Chase could have took a little bit better care of, of Denny in that moment. But I just feel like, you know, if Bowman's willing to race hard enough, to make that mistake, to push his car hard enough to get to that limit where he's going to possibly make a mistake, you got to be able to get out of the car and say, "Man, I made the mistake," and he mm-hmm. did. He, I got, I, but I want to win. I mm-hmm. want a clock, and he did. I mm-hmm. mean, he said what I think he should have said. He owned it, you know. And he said, "You know, I screwed up, but I do want to race and win a clock here." And uh, what do you, what else? What else do you want from the guy, right? No, I think they did nothing wrong. So. Uh, but I'm glad they're not. You, know, you definitely don't want to go to a race where they're just oh playoff guy in my mirror. Pull over, playoff guy in my mirror. Oh, right. Let me get out of here. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, they did everything right. Does that sorry. answer your life hack question? Yeah. <laughs> I'm reading the. I'm sorry. I'm life reading hacks. the chat. What Some are they saying? Are, um, stand by. It's. It's going by it's fast. fast. It's like looks like a jackpot machine. Okay. Here. Um. This is interesting. <laughs> life hack. Coke on battery corrosion. Hashtag hack. Oh. Oh, they're t- you're, you're talking oh, about a lot of people are talking about life hacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No. I mean, a lot of people are talking about Denny as well. Hmm. Um, I don't. I got some life hacks, but that's one. It's like you know, tough to. I'm sure I have some, but it's tough to right. think I, of one. I used a, a spork to comb my hair one time when I didn't have my brush. There you that's go. That's a life hack. Good enough. Bojangle spork. Yeah. Oh wow. A used spork. No, no gravy <laughs> on it. <laughs> Um, next question? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Please. This is uh from Jeffro.vt. Was there ever a time in your career you thought your fans went too hard after another driver for the way they raced you? Yeah, sure. So the question is is there a time when I thought my fans went too hard after another driver at any point, right? I think you can absolutely say yes. Every fan base of every driver has those fans that are going to go too hard. Everyone, and certainly, you know, I had we I had a lot of fans when I was racing, and so I certainly had those ones that were 
super passionate and definitely going to go after anybody that ru- that they felt ruined my day or 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 cost me a position, a point, or a win. Right? Uh, they they go after NASCAR, they go after drivers, whatever. And so it's uh, that's absolutely a, a yes. And and you're you know I would uh, hear it from other drivers. And even today, like uh, with Josh Williams, he's like, oh, man, Junior Nation, boy, you don't want to mess with them. <laughs> you know, so they're passionate, man, and that's what you want as a, as a driver. You want your fans to be in your corner, you know, for, for anybody out there that's racing. Probably best not to talk about them. <laughs> I'm never going to go, oh, his, his fans, you know, are, you know, I'm never going to. They're being mean to me. They're being mean. His uh, fans are crazy. His that'll f- fix it. Yeah, I'm sure. I don't know if that's <laughs> yeah. the way you want to go. I don't know if that's the route you want to take. But um, you know, I think that um, that certainly has happened in the past. And and sometimes you're like, oh man, it's oh it's because you're you're feeling some type of way about the situation. Let's say I, somebody cost me a win, right? Yeah. I I got a I got a feeling about this. I got an opinion about this. And when you see some of your fans go to the extreme in the in in their passion for it or their emotion about it. You want to reel them back. You want to have a conversation with them and say, "Hey, man, here's the deal. Let's, this is how I feel about it. Let's let's all let's all get on the same page." And you don't want them to get ugly with another driver or be ugly. You know, you read social media and see ugly comments uh, that your fans were sending to other people. Yeah, you don't, you don't want that happening. Um, I know two examples. Okay, Jimmy Johnson, Talladega, when you pushed him to the win, oh. Jimmy. Still catches hell for that, or because they didn't retaliate, or not retaliate because they, they didn't, didn't help return me. the favor. Oh yeah, yeah. right. They still gets, and the other one, and again, Kevin Harvick. I mean, I, I'm not the biggest defender of Kevin Harvick, but when you ran out of gas after the Coca-Cola 600 and he took the wind, I think Kevin told me that his property was vandalized. Oh my gosh, it was either that or Martinsville. One of those. You almost won Martinsville. I think in the same year, and yeah. um, and then Kevin ended up yep. going in there and taking that one. Now that's where so another driver didn't do anything wrong. He just went and won the race, and yeah. we were upset. But you but know, that's a great band- example. Vandalizing is taking it way too far, people. Yeah, yeah. right. I I never liked seeing those type of examples, and especially on social media, because the driver that's getting this stuff, I see him right the next right. week or whatever, and he looks at me. As if I was the one <laughs> who sent the message, right? Or vandalized the property. Right. And he's like, you're responsible for this. Right. right. Or why are you not, you know. Why are you not saying. Speaking up. Yeah. Why are you not, you know, corralling this. Get your people in, in line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. One more question from Brian Whitcamp. Uh, your thoughts on Clay Kemp's Camaro model that he brought you a couple weeks ago. Yeah. So the model is uh, is right back here on, on this uh, on this shift. My thoughts see. on it? Hard to see. You yeah. can't see it there. If it, you should have put it on the table, Matthew. Yeah, we should have put it on the table. Yeah. No, you can't see it because of the mic. <laughs> the, the mic arm is in the way. So this car here is uh, was owned by my grandfather, Robert G., my mom's dad. Uh, my mother's side of the family had a lot of uh, great racers and car builders and fabricators. Uh, my dad drove this car at short tracks around uh, North Carolina and South Carolina. And uh, in the 70s. Metroline and places like that. Daryl Waltrip drove the cart to Snowball Derby and, and all around as well. Haywood Plyler and a bunch of other racers drove this car. Uh, my uncle, Robert G. Jr., ma- maintained the car uh, when he was in his young 
younger years, and he works here today at Junior Motorsports as a fabricator still. So um, this car is a one-of-a-kind, just so beautifully done, and, and something I asked Clay to do, and he was gracious enough to build it and come out here and give it to me. I love, I just got back into collecting die casts and models and stuff like that over the over the last couple of years. I got a couple of display cases at home with a few of my favorites, and uh, that's why we have these die casts on the table here today is because we're we're kind of we're kind of into it. So uh uh that's definitely probably my my top of the mountain, my peak of the mountain uh diecast model uh that I have in my collection. That that one is a special special car to me. So, can't thank Clay enough and he has a YouTube channel and a social media uh handle and details all his work. It is incredible. Right now he's working on a uh, Western Auto Darrell Waltrip number 17 Lumina. And I swear when you see pictures of this thing, he shows you as he's building it. It looks like a real car. I mean, the, the detail is insane under the hood and so forth. So uh, go check him out, man. It's pretty awesome. Is that it? That's mm-hmm. what she said. Yep. Man. I thought was you want another one? one? I thought I was going to get one more. Can give you I one. got one. What's on the uh, table right there? There's a pile Oh, yeah, of stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um... My sister had a throwback shirt made. Yeah, it's part of our Dirty Mo original line. So there you go. Where can you pick these up, Mike? You can go to DirtyMoMedia.com and go to the store there. You can go to the Junior Motorsports Media Store, Junior Motorsports Store. Uh, I think that's ShopJuniorNation.com, yep. and you can also get them here in the store if you're, you know, here at Junior Motorsports. So cool. on the rack. Yeah, that's all her, of our other shirts. That's her late mall cart she ran for a handful of years, and uh, uh, yeah, we got some cool T-shirts that we're selling on uh, Dirty Mo Media. We got these are throwback T-shirts. Kelly's was designed by another guy, but me and Mike, me personally, I designed with Mike and Ryan Williams helped as well. Mm-hmm. These uh, is it three? Yeah, it's there's three. three. There's currently. three currently on more. on our website, and so hopefully you like them because uh, um, because I certainly do. And uh, they're but they're throwback T-shirts. Dirty Mo Media, go check them out. We've been talking about them, showing them on social media, but uh, maybe you'll want one. Maybe you'll, there's one of them has this old dirt car on it. Yeah. So, uh, go, yeah, go tell us what you think. Go tell us what else you'd like to see. Show us some examples of some old shirts, some old throwbacks that we could use some inspiration from. Absolutely. All right. So um, that's it, right? Yep, that's it. All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in today. That was a great Ask Junior. Some great questions presented to you by Xfinity in Xfinity X5 the fastest stuff out there and it's reliable uh xfinity's a proud premier partner of nascar and we appreciate everything they do not only for us here at dirty mode media and the dell junior download but everything they do in the sport you wouldn't believe the footprint and the effort they put into it that keeps uh keep this sport moving in the right direction it's time to pour a glass and listen to mike davis Ooh. That was like jazz. I like that. That's what it seemed like. Smooth jazz. It's time to pour a glass. I don't know. Last call. Last call. All right, guys. Big show. Uh, Let's do a last call real quick. I'm telling you, a big week for Dirty Mo Media, and I'm proud to say it, but uh, we we talked about it on the show, the Burton Continuum. The trailer dropped this week. It'll be a couple weeks before we actually put out some episodes, but I want to just get everyone excited about that. The Burton Continuum, new podcast for Dirty Mo Media. Sounds so cool. Yeah. Also, this was a week. I tell you, I tweeted about it this morning. But if there was ever a week that really embodies what Door Bumper Clear is about and when it's at its best, it's after a Martinsville race like that and coming into a championship week. This is the week you really want to hear these guys what they have to say. 
they really let it all hang out too by the way they, there, there was no <laughs> filters at all other than the myriad filters that jason schultz had to put on them because of all the cussing but that being said it was fine i, I I'm halfway through the episode right now, yeah, it's good. and it, it's it's a it's a mount. But boy, we went long on our podcast this week, didn't we? Um, check out the download on television. I hope you guys enjoyed the Shauna Robinson podcast last week. The TV show was awesome. This week, the uh, uh, Tommy Russell episode will air Thursday, 6 p.m. Eastern time on NBC Sports Network. Hey, there's one more thing I want to announce. We are taking the Dale Jr. download on the road for a live show during the off season. Okay, <laughs> the PRI show in Indianapolis. We are going to go up there and do a live appearance. Nice. Uh, this will be fun. We've never we've kind of done this down in Daytona, but this is, you know, there was a race going on in Daytona. This time we are going uh, on the road for real. PRI is big. PRI is a big deal. Pro- I think they fans probably don't even know what that is. 70,000 uh, people. It's kind of an industry trade yeah. show. It's in the big Indianapolis Convention Center. Yep. There's a lot of activities. I know Roger Penske's going to be there. A lot of a lot of people will be there. Everybody. Uh, off and on. I, I, I believe the dates of the PRI show are December 9th through 11th. I believe I have that right. You may want to check on me, Lee, there. But, uh, and, and I believe our show will be on December 9th. We will come back with more definitive, concrete information in terms of when the Dale Jr. Download Dang. Live show will be. But I am excited to tell you we're going up to Indy uh, for that. So look forward. And you're gonna you're gonna buy a dinner at St. Elmo's, right? Yeah, that's well, part was, of the experience. It's part of it. Hey, I will say, I love St. Elmo's. However, I'm very unpopular, controversial opinion. I'm about to say, I'm I, throw I admit something it. At you. But I feel like that shrimp cocktail is overrated. Oh, I, I agree with you. Bull crap. Way overrated. I just want me. the steak. I don't care about the shrimp. Give me the cocktail. steak. Oh. I, the, 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 everybody that sits there and takes pictures of their, their shrimp cocktails, you know, I get it. I understand. That's a trend that people oh. do. But nobody would eat that shrimp cocktail if it was at any other restaurant anywhere else in the world. They would not be so over the top about it. That's just an it. opinion. It's controversial. Come on. I, I get it. I would never be so bold as to say something like, you know, in and out burgers overrated because it's not. It's it, every everybody's opinion about that is legit. But the shrimp cocktail, come on, let's stop. Stop the noise. In and out's way overrated. Yeah. Oh right. God, don't go there. Um, that's just how I feel. Uh, clearly, Matthew doesn't agree, but that's all right. I bet you most people will agree with Matthew on this one, and that's fine. Um, but yeah, PRI show, Indy. Yes, Leah. Let's cool. go to dinner yes. that night. Yes. Wait, wait, wait. Just Leah. Yeah, you'll, oh, you'll yeah. be doing a show. Leah's going to be the producer of that show. <laughs> okay, good. Well, uh, it, you said it was that December. My wife is going to leave me because we have tickets to, what's that movie? The Polar Express with the kids. So I'm going to have to find a fill-in husband. Y- your wife is going to leave you? She'll probably leave. Yeah, she'll probably think about it. Are you pinning that on us? No. Oh. No, but uh, I need a stand-in husband. I don't think she will leave you. <laughs> All right, everybody. She probably wants to stand in husband all the time. I appreciate everyone for listening. Thank you so much. Have a great week. Dale, close us down. Hope you guys have a great week. We'll see you next week. Check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo. You're going to do it. You're going to win it. You're going to win it. You're going to win it.